0: Welcome to another Baseball America podcast, draft podcast today. We're going to wrap up the 2015 draft in a, uh, a pretty comprehensive manner. J.J. Cooper, joined by Teddy Cahill here. Before we dive into it, and we're going to dive into it deep, we're going to talk about all 30 teams. Before we do that, though, I do want to remind you again that it is a great time to subscribe to Baseball America. Go to BaseballAmerica.com right now. You get an extra month if you subscribe. We have scouting reports on a... Vast number of the players who were drafted this week for subscribers. A large, large, large number. I know that I think over 400 of the BA 500 uh, were, were drafted. So that's over 400 scouting reports right there. And then I know that there's an additional number of guys, probably close to 450 altogether that we have scouting reports up from the draft. Um, we also have July 2 reports. Ben Badler had a top 10 July 2 prospects that went up today. We're... Starting to work on mid-season uh, updates, also cultural series time. It's busy, it's fun. Uh, we're a little tired, but that's okay. <laughs> but, uh, but we are going to dive right into it right now. And so, with no, we're not going to even look at the big picture yet. We're going on the granular level a little bit more here today. So, Teddy, we're going to start. We're going to go alphabetical order. So, Arizona Diamondbacks, what do you see? What stands out to you about this draft?
2: Well, I think first, you know, we want to we want to acknowledge that you know the day after the draft ends, it's difficult to make uh, you know any sort of sweeping um, generalizations about anyone's picks. We're not uh, going to
0: say that's a terrible draft, that's a great draft because we don't. Everyone, Ed, to use a, a former a BA a staffer, Clint Longenecker, everyone who's covering the draft is at an informational asymmetry. We
2: don't know the thought
0: process and what some team may know that we don't know.
2: Right, absolutely. And some of these guys may not sign. You know, the top guys we expect to sign, but, uh, you know, you never know.
0: If we'd evaluated Houston's draft last year on day uh, two, day eight, or right after the draft, we'd have gone, you know, Brady Aka, that's a great, you know, he's got a rank here on their list, not,
2: and he didn't sign. Yeah. So with those uh, qualifications out of the way, uh, you know, with with the Diamondbacks, you know, Dansby Swanson at the top of the draft, uh, you know, from it, knowing you know the general name, I, I guess we don't know exactly what names they were they were looking Another at at five the end that they say right they were. we, we uh, although the scouting director uh, Derek Ladner then told me uh, you know the night of the draft that he'd had his mind up on Swanson for a while so you know who knows uh, but they got their guy at number one and Dansby Swanson, you know he didn't rank at the top of RBA 500 he mm-hmm. was he was number two. Uh, and you know, there's the the separation between him and Brendan Rodgers is not great. Um, you know, that it's a it's a close close thing. Right, there. We didn't
0: think of it like there's this was not a draft where you had a Bryce Harper who was one, and then everyone else was two on. This was if you want to argue him one versus Brendan Rodgers, we we understand.
2: Right. So uh, you know, getting getting Swanson uh, with the first overall pick, you know, that's a that's a good start to the draft. Um, and then they didn't have; they only had the one other pick on day one. Um, Alex. They took Alexi on there out of TCU. He's a left-hander, uh, and, and they went with a lot of pitchers there uh, after Dansby. Uh, and some of those pitchers have been relievers in college, and uh, there are a lot of them that uh, some other teams think will will stay relieving in pro ball. But I would guess that the Diamondbacks will try several of these guys. Uh, as starters, and probably believe that they are starters, uh, to take but, them where they took Breck them. But Brecken
0: Williams, Ryan Burr, those are guys who generally are thought are probably going to be relievers.
2: Well, those are closers in college, and yeah, I mean, I, I would guess that they they would remain there. Um, but Taylor Clark, uh, some people may, might look at him as a reliever, but I'm sure the Diamondbacks will give him a chance to start. He started for Charleston and, and pitched well. Um, you know, and then uh, at 11, they got Austin Byler uh, with the first pick of day three. And uh, we know J.J. likes him out of Nevada. Uh, I am
0: an Austin Byler fan. I, I, again, he, as I wrote, I tweeted out yesterday, he's a senior who was really too good to be a senior sign. And what that means by that is is that how the system works now, it's much more valuable to draft a senior you like in the 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th round who's going to sign for 5,000, 10,000, something like that, because it saves you the slot money. If you take a guy like Austin Byler who hasn't had enough track record of performance, is a good enough prospect, Do I remember was drafted reasonably well last year, he says, no, I'm not going to take $5,000. Well, all of a sudden then, it is better off to wait until after the 10th round to take this. I know we've explained this before. I know some of our listeners understand this completely, but I get this question all the time. Because the reality is, is that, If you give Austin Byler $100,000 in the 11th round, that's just money. Whereas if you give Austin Byler $100,000 in the 7th round, you essentially handed over $90,000, $75,000, $95,000 that you could use somewhere else in your top 10 rounds because that $100,000 guy in the 8th, 9th, 10th round, that means that you're uh, you're not saving the money there that you want to save to be able to use elsewhere in those top 10 rounds. That's why a guy like Austin Byler. That's why a guy like Logan Ratledge, we'll talk about later. That's why
2: they fell. Yeah, the opportunity cost is much greater than when you take them in the the first ten rounds. Uh, and then uh, after him, they, they took Wesley Rodriguez at number uh, with the the twelfth round pick. And Rodriguez was a top one hundred guy uh, on the BA five hundred. Fell a bit, but um, you know the Diamondbacks were able to to get him on day three. And uh, I'm I would imagine they'd sign him. Taking him in the 12th round there, I would guess that, uh, you know, it'll it'll cost, you know, it'll be, and um, there are no slots after the 10th round, but it would cost more than the 100000 so it will cost against the bonus pool. But to get him in the 12th round uh, does, uh, you know, that, that's, it that's better than an average 12th yeah, rounder. Th-
0: yeah, those two, the 11th and 12th rounders that they took, they're deep in their draft because the, both of those are guys you say, you know what, I'll put it this way, both of those guys have a chance to rank in their top 30 when the season's over. Absolutely. And that's not a whole lot of guys you take in 11th and 12th round who you'd say that about. No. But I, I think overall, again, we've talked about this. You know, We talk about this draft a lot. So oh, I think one of the key things that the Diamondbacks did is they didn't get cute at number one, which I think was a good thing. Take the guy, don't try to be really creative and see what you can do later on. The Diamondbacks, even though picking number one, didn't have the massive financial advantage. That's the Astros. We'll get to them. But with that being the case, take the guy that you like the best, Dansby Swanson. After that, I do look at it as somewhat of a, a low-risk, um, you know, like a, a safer draft than a... Than it wasn't a shoot-for-the-moon draft. It was, we are going to add depth to our system. I don't. But they think,
2: don't take a high school guy until Wesley Rodriguez in the 12th round.
0: Right. This is not a draft where you say, wow, this could really work out great or really work out terrible. I, I think it's more of... They're aiming for, to use a baseball analogy, a, a, a solid single or a double in the gap than they are trying to hit a home run here. They're, this is a draft who it should add depth to their system. A whole lot of guys who you say, okay, that guy's got a decent chance to make the big leagues. Not a whole lot of guys after you get past Dansby Swanson. Not a whole lot of guys who I say, that guy looks like a guy who could be a future
2: star. But the key is, if Dansby Swanson is the guy that the people think he can be, then this draft will look just fine exactly. uh, in a few years. Exactly. I, it probably won't even take a few years to look just fine.
0: Okay, so that is one team down, 29 to go. We are eight minutes in. we got to speed. Th- well, maybe not. We'll just keep going like this. Okay, so Braves. We look at the Braves. We just talked about the Diamondbacks and how they're shooting for a solid, you know, uh, a solid draft. The Braves did a very different approach. The Braves' approach is they are trying to hit a home run, and if they strike out some along the way, they are quite okay with that if they can hit a home run.
2: Yeah, the Braves had uh, five picks on the first day of the draft. Um, you know, When you have five of the first 75 picks, there's a lot of extra money that goes into your bonus pool because of that. You know, Even though they don't pick until 14, they still had $10 million to play with this draft, and... So at 14, they take Colby Allard, who uh, coming into the spring was the best high school pitcher in the country, uh, and then he suffers a stress reaction in his back. doesn't pitch much, uh, but that allows the Braves to get him at 14, and if he's able to stay healthy, that's an incredible value. And they just kept taking high school guys. Um, You know, A.J. Minter was their fifth pick, and that was the first college guy they took. So they take four high school guys at the top of the draft. They take Allard. They take Allard's catcher, Lucas Herbert, who might be the best defensive player on the high school side. They take Austin Riley, who's a really good two-way player from the Mississippi ranks. And Mike Soroka uh, is a Canadian right-hander who uh, really came on strong over the last month of the season. Uh, The Canadians don't really have a high school season, but pitching for the junior national team down the stretch, Soroka uh, looked really good.
0: I think I saw a lot of Brace fans on Twitter during the draft who were very angry about this draft.
2: They were tweeting to me, yes.
0: And I think that part <laughs> of that is, is that you, know, hey, we, we value we think the BA 500 has value. They look at it as wow, these are a lot of, these guys are a lot of overdrafts. And I feel like I, there's a need to explain something here. When we do the BA 500 can, that's, you know, we're trying to rec- reflect somewhat of a consensus. We're not going to hit 100% on that, but that's our goal is, is that it is a, a consensus. With that, when a guy's injured, we generally will knock him down somewhat. So you take a guy like A.J. Minter. We talked about A.J. Minter. A.J. Minter could rank anywhere, could rank anywhere on our list from 100 to 500 because it really comes down to this is an injured guy who, if he makes it all the way back and is, stays durable after that, he is a legitimate top two, top three-round talent. At the same time, he has no track record of, I mean, he's, he was used as a reliever sparingly before he got injured. He basically had started very briefly in his career. So you're talking about a guy who has no innings, uh, very few innings on his resume as, for a college guy. Guys like that. You talk about a guy like Soroka. Soroka, yeah, I mean, late helium, we had a rank 90. Braves obviously value him more than that. That's not the Patrick Weigel, who they went with in the, uh, in the seventh round. Another guy who very much is, there's risk there and there's potential reward. This is a high-risk draft. You look after the 10th round, and, and really what stands out after the 10th round is, is that I, I feel like that that's where they went a little bit more um, low risk. They, they didn't really swing a whole lot for the fences. They don't, I don't see anyone jumps out for you in the later round. Yeah, uh,
2: Greason Jones and Chase Johnson Mullins. Um at Shelton State Community College they uh, in, in Alabama there, they both are um, top 500 guys. And Johnson Mullins is just a big, big left-hander. There, uh, there are concerns there. He's had Tommy John in the past. Uh, and Grayson Jones, um, big arm from the right side, still learning how to pitch. Uh, you know, those are... Those are a, a little riskier uh, than some of these guys down here. And then also they took a couple of um, guys that are going to play football uh, this fall in all likelihood when they go to college. Uh, they take DJ Neal, mm-hmm. they take Terry Goodwin. those are both Atlanta area guys. DJ Neal committed to South Carolina to play both sports. Terry Goodwin is uh, Georgia's one of Georgia's top football recruits and is not supposed to play on the football team as far as I know, or on the baseball team as far as I know. Uh, but if they get either one of those guys, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, they're they're really really good athletes and potentially uh, nice picks.
0: I look at those two as being the guys they took as the most likely as the security blanket. We'll talk about this with every team. You've got to take someone later on in case you you need to have somebody to spend some money on in case something goes wrong in your top ten picks. You know, your top ten rounds. I, I yeah I'm with you. I don't I think it's unlikely that either those guys sign, but you never know. But I, if especially if something happens and something falls through with a guy one of their top picks, you again you're gonna you lose that slot. But especially if you have a guy that you were planning to spend overslot on, you're still gonna have some money left over. Well, then all of a sudden those guys may you know kind of come into play.
2: The other thing I wanted to say with the the injury stuff is, like, we only have so much information and (laughs) we are not medical specialists. No. And the Braves employ medical specialists that, and they do get all the information. And
0: we're not, you know, like, yeah, we don't get to read the reports.
2: Right. So, you know, when we talk about how A.J. Minner is much lower on the BA 500, well, maybe the Braves saw something that, you know, makes them feel okay about that, that You know, when we look at an injury or a guy that hasn't pitched much and, you know, we try and react to that. But, you know, they they're the ones with with all the information or much more information than we have access to. And they're the ones that, you know, have experience rehabbing pitchers. You know, so with the injured guys, you know, I I don't know what to do with them a lot of the times and so do they do I. they do get pushed down the list, but you know, if if a team is comfortable with them and the Braves seem to have been comfortable with both Minner and Allard and some of the other guys that they took uh, that have injury and, histories, then then you know, I will defer to them for and, now.
0: And the thing about it is, is that another way to put that is this and there's disagreement on those. Absolutely. There are guys who will get picked by one team who thinks no they're fine, and another team will say they're not even on our board. Right. And, and that's something where we're not going to be able to solve that answer because we again we are in an informational uh, asymmetry on that. Okay, Teddy. Moving on. So we go to the uh, to the Orioles. What did you see with the uh, the Orioles that stood out to you?
2: Well, the Orioles uh, started the night with uh, or started the draft off with DJ Stewart, uh, and he he's a big slugger from Florida State with an unconventional hey. stance. And uh, so it'll be interesting to yeah, see how big, he...
0: A uh, big slugger with a small stance.
2: Yes, he uh, he crouches down very, very low. And it'll be interesting to see how that translates to pro ball. I am not the only person that is interested to see that. Uh, and whether and, the, and the,
0: you're, what you're essentially saying, there are scouts who... Do not think... Do think he will have to make some changes in Pro Bowl.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how the Orioles handle that. Um, My guess is they'll let him do what he does, and then if it works, that's great. And if he starts to experience failure, then they might uh, revisit with him the the idea of changing his stance up a little bit. But, you know, we'll just see how that goes. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, their second pick, uh, ranked a lot lower on the... He was just outside the the top 100 on the ba 500 uh, but he had a really good sea brain uh and he really knows how to hit he doesn't really have a position and I that that kind of hurt him a bit but the orioles uh you know do get a good hitter there uh you know th- those are the the t- their two first round picks and you know, from there, they, they have some upside further down the board. You know, Jonathan Hughes in the second round, Gray Fenner in the seventh Gray round. Gray Fenner to
0: me is a that's a key one there. I mean,
2: Ryan McKinnon in the fourth round. I mean, th- these are all these are all upside high school guys that um, you know if they if they do wind up reaching, you know, something approaching their ceiling, then the Orioles will have uh, have some, some solid solid talent out of those guys.
0: Even Jalen Ferguson who didn't make our BA 500, their ninth rounder, I mean, that's a, a guy who if you really like him, you think there's a chance that, I mean, there's some athleticism, you know, their center fielder, there's something there, but It is. This is a little bit, yeah, as you said, I mean, obviously take high schoolers for one thing, but this is a little bit of a higher risk draft in in many ways. Stewart is not. Stewart, their first pick. There's some risk for a college guy, but he is a... the, the, there's less risk when you say that this is a guy who's been a very productive college hitter in the ACC.
2: For an, like, he was the ACC Player of the Year last year as a sophomore. And for an ACC, for, for a former ACC Player of the Year, I think there's more risk than, than, than average. Yes. But yeah, I mean, that's a college performer. And he has hit everywhere he's gone. Right.
0: I, he, he also, the other thing, I mean, he just doesn't do a conventional. And the other question is, is with him is, you know, scouts don't love the body. There's, you know, he's, he's going to be a corner outfielder. And that's really you're you're not expecting anything more than that. You just hope that he's going to be a solid corner, you know, a solid left fielder, probably. Yeah,
2: he's been a been a corner guy in college, and that's where he's going to stay. He'll probably play left field as a pro.
0: But uh, it, the interesting thing with them is, is looking at them, uh, they didn't really take a whole lot of guys after the tenth round who, who kind of look like that. They're kind of the backup, you know. Cody Morris, maybe a guy who's a kind
2: of a, a backup plan. Yeah, Cody Morris uh, had Tommy John surgery this spring. Um, you know, I he's committed to South Carolina, and he'll probably get there. That's a local pick for them, and they do a good job uh, scouting local mm-hmm. guys. Uh, Josh Hader definitely comes to mind as a, as a local yes. guy that they they hit on. Uh, Cody Morris is much better known than, than Josh Hader was, but. Um, yeah, that that's one of their, their potential backup plans, but you know, not not every team, uh, you know, because of the way teams approach the final right. ten rounds, and every team uh, necessarily has to. Right. If has they to didn't do have that. a
0: guy that they're really planning to go significantly above slot with, then you don't really need the backup plan as much because if you're planning to send pay relatively around the slot for most every guy, well, then and they didn't really take, they did not go heavy on seniors to try to save money in later rounds of the top ten rounds, so they don't need that as much. Moving on to Boston. So, Teddy, this is a draft that fits very much kind of what we expect with the Boston draft to me.
2: Uh, Well, I guess, except that I I would have expected more high schoolers, I think. Um, But, you know, Benintendi at 7 is, uh, you know, that's, it was just announced, I saw, I can say this now officially, that he is the Baseball America College Player of the Year. Uh, And he had an incredible spring at Arkansas. Uh, and if he had had even just a little hint of a track record, probably would not have been available at the seventh overall right. pick.
0: I think. I think we again. I've said it on the pre-draft podcast. I think we may end up. There is a chance that we'll look back at this and say, "Huh, that was the best guy in this in this class." And the only reason the reason we we're, we're, you know that he could not be is is because there's less track record than you would like.
2: Yeah, he, that's a guy that uh, didn't do much as a freshman. He's only a sophomore. He didn't play uh, last summer, uh, and he's from an Ohio high school. So, I mean, there just isn't as much track record as, as you typically see, but uh, that made him available for them at seven, and uh, you know, he, he's an up-the-middle player with a lot of tools. That, that could wind up being good. And Austin Rye is another up-the-middle player with a lot of tools. Uh, we had him as the best college catcher in this draft. Uh, and so to get that in the third round, is I mean, it wasn't a great year for college catching, but to get the best college catcher in the third round uh, is a that's, that's a pretty nice value.
0: Right. I mean, we're, we're high on Austin Rye. You know, John Manuel is a, a big Austin Rye fan. The thing that stands out with him compared to the other college catchers who are i in mean, that consideration to be the top college catcher, he, he's more well-rounded. He has a chance. I mean, again, there's a question of shorter track record in some ways he's been banged up at times and all, but... He has a chance to hit and defend.
2: And when you look at the other two top college catchers uh, who were uh, Taylor Ward out of Fresno State and Austin Allen out of Florida Tech, uh, Allen is uh, much more the hitter, and there are some questions about whether he can stay behind the plate largely because of his size. Uh, and Ward is the defender, and there are just questions about how much he'll ever hit. Rye brings all of the—you know, brings the full complement— with some risk and some lack of track record, as as you mentioned.
0: Now, this draft, you go a little further. Take Matheny. Matheny is a very good baseball player, son of Mike Matheny. I will be interested to see kind of where he ends up playing. Uh, you know, he was announced, I believe, as an outfielder. That doesn't mean necessarily that I, there are some who think that, you know, maybe he ends up being a second baseman. This is the Red Sox. Maybe they won't move him to second base because they seem to be pretty f- I don't even know where they would find room to play him next year in their minor league system, necessarily, at second base. But uh, if he's, he's going to stay in the outfield, really, then the question becomes, is he a center fielder? If he's not, he's probably a fourth outfielder. But you know what? You take him in the fourth round. If he's a solid backup outfielder, that's fine. That's not, a, that's not damning in any way, shape, or form. Um, Travis Lakens, their sixth rounder, is kind of an intriguing uh, arm, uh, I believe, if I remember again, sophomore eligible. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, a, a guy's a little bit younger for the uh, college draft class, and then you get on. What I like about their draft, there's a number of kind of interesting arms uh, later on. You get past the tenth round. Well, I,
2: Logan one. Allen, uh, their eighth round pick. Um, I don't. If you take him the eighth round, there, I, I guess he's probably going to sign. But uh, we had him. You know, I think it was like one twenty-five yeah, on one twenty-eight. That's a high schooler out of IMG Academy. Came on. He had a very good spring, uh, and he's committed to South Carolina, but if they take him in the eighth round there, I, he very much they
0: they gotta be thinking eight. that they're they've got a very good chance.
2: And they take him. they they'd taken a senior the pick before and they took two seniors right after him. So I mean looking at that, it makes me think that the, the Red Sox are, are intending to sign him and that would that's a nice that's a very nice value in the eighth round there.
0: Right. And then they have significant backup plans. They though. do. Like if you said okay, if it ends up that he ends up going to school, well then you're gonna lose 150,000, I think it is, off your slot. But they still, again, they save money with some other seniors and all that. You put it all together, and they could make runs at take your pick. I mean, you know, Kyrie Washington is a guy who's uh, again, if you sign him, that's a that's a high ceiling guy right there. Uh, you could also say Marcus, Marcus Brakeman. Brakeman is another guy. You know, and then really. Not not just those guys but even uh, at the uh, the very
2: sage Jenko from Virginia Tech yeah. um, Yomar Valentin maybe even uh, he's one of the youngest players in this draft class his father's Jose Valentin uh, he's committed to Auburn um, but you know I, you never know
0: right one uh, again it there's dra- their draft after the tenth round I'll be interested if they sign any of those guys but if they can get one you know even one of those guys it's again, the best way to put it, those are guys who, really, they're not just they're not just adding organizational depth.
2: I mean, for the most part, these guys aren't going to sign. Right. But um, you know, we all remember how Houston went last year uh, with you know everything that went ha- that happened, and then one of the last pieces that almost happened was uh you know grabbing or signing mac marshall away from lsu and everyone if, we,
0: if we've been talking about this at this time last year we said well mac marshall's going to lsu he never ended up at lsu but you know even with all this well like, he did end up at lsu he yeah, just didn't for, play for, for them. Excuse, he ended up for, for uh, he was on thing. campus yeah. he never played for them uh, but okay well we are going to move on to the cubs so teddy what jumps out to you about the cubs
2: well, the Cubs did what the Cubs do at the top of the draft, which is they just took the best hitters available. They take Ian Happ, 9, Donnie DeWeese, 47, and those are two guys that just know how to hit. <laughs> there's uh, there's some positional questions with both of them, but they just know how to hit. And we've seen in the last few years that Cubs don't care about what your position is. They just want you to hit, and they'll figure it out later.
0: And and part of that is, is that is that there is somewhat of a philosophy out there among some teams it's like that defense is defense is something that in many cases there the instruction that you can give at the pro level cannot be replicated in amateur ball and i think there's some truth to that like i have a scout who likes to say like you don't see all these indoor fielding uh clinics you know fielding uh you know facilities like Every everywhere has indoor hitting facilities. You know, no every you know, where guys can pitch too. But no one's sitting there going, "Okay, well, we're going to take a you know, fifteen thousand ground balls or anything like that." Well, what happens with these guys is if you believe that, you get the bats, and then you say, "Okay, well, we can raise the guy's defense a grade or more sometimes." And in ca- some cases, I mean, Ian Happ again, we'll see where he ends up playing. I mean, the the question, the knock against him, this guy is hit. There's really. This guy has a pretty strong track record of hitting. Guys generally like the swing. Guys like the swing. Really what it comes down to is, is, okay, well, where does he profile? And that comes down to, if you think he's a corner outfielder, well, then you're asking a lot from the bat. Most guys don't think that he's a a center fielder. He's played a little second in the past. Where is he going to end up? We'll see. I'll be fascinated to see. But, again, as you said, this is – very much the Cubs saying, we think he'll hit, and we'll figure out where, you know, we'll, we'll improve him defensively. You go beyond that. I love DJ Wilson, their fourth rounder. Anyone you talked to who saw him play at, you know, up, up in Ohio high school ranks, just love the way he played. Uh, he may be a little bit of a difficult sign in some ways, but it's thought he's signable, but he's... I
2: mean, they take him in the fourth round, I, I he's think... He's going to sign, they're, you soon. Yeah.
0: And I, I think that's one of those guys that he always seems to get the most out of, he's got pretty strong tools, but he gets the most out of them too. Um, Brian Hudson was a guy who, who very much kind of popped up and impressed on, on radars this spring, Who's their uh, third round pick. After that, David Berg, David Berg is a guy who, uh,
2: very, Just device- a really good college closer. Right. But whether that, pl- because of the way he does it, he's, he's, True sidearm doesn't throw very hard at all. There's a lot of questions about whether he di- whether that translates in any way to pro ball. Uh, but you know the the Cubs uh, take him in the sixth round, and and, and it the...
0: probably can get him for less significantly. Oh, he's a senior. Yeah, he's a senior who's getting less. So you're getting a productive senior there. Um, you, you see that you go after the after the tenth round. Um, guys... Matt
2: Rose in the eleventh round uh, hit a bunch of home runs at Georgia State this year. Uh, you know that's that's potentially uh, something there uh you know there they really uh, didn't do a whole lot after the tenth round I don't know
0: Zinn is a guy I kind of like as a uh, as a glove I don't know if he's gonna hit but uh, their 28th rounder shortstop who uh, I, again at taking him that late we'll see if they can sign him but but that that's a very good glove the
2: the best of the after 10th rounders though is uh, Alonzo Jones um, who didn't play much this spring because he broke his hammock. There, he's a shortstop uh, and wants to play shortstop, uh, but he is the fastest runner in this draft class. And uh, there are teams that just want to put him in center field. But he'll that that looks like it'll be a problem for Vanderbilt uh, next year. And John, We're speaking
0: of Vanderbilt's, Vanderbilt's recruiting class. class, looks really, really, really good.
2: And one of the, uh, the Cubs take John Kilichowski out of Vanderbilt and he's a sophomore and, you know, he won't count to the recruiting class, but assuming Vanderbilt holds on to him, uh, that really, that might be one of their best recruits anyway, because that guy was, you know, Vanderbilt's losing their entire starting rotation this year. And that guy was their midweek starter, pretty much, and he'll and he'll step in. He will, I'm sure, be asked to step into the weekend rotation, right? And and then we'll be talking about
0: another guy later on who very well could, you know, even as a freshman, may step into that you know rotation. Uh, but so that's that wraps us up on the Cubs, which means obviously we're moving on to the White Sox. So uh, I I I'm writing down the time on these, so I always start with a very boring
2: question. So what do you think, Teddy? Well, we can start. We can just keep talking about Vanderbilt here because they take Carson Fulmer, Vanderbilt's ace, uh, at number eight overall, and uh, there are questions about whether Fulmer is a closer. Is he a starter? Because he's short and has a lot of effort in his delivery. Uh, but I'm sure the the White Sox will give him a chance to start. And they, you'll recall that Chris Sale had a lot of these same questions, and he's worked out fine as a starter. It's a lot different. Uh, But, you know, it it just shows you that the White Sox, you know, aren't necessarily afraid to uh, or, you know, that they're willing to to give these guys a shot. And I I think that's what you'll see Fulmer get, you know, is a shot to start. Now, if they chose the reliever route, Carson Fulmer could be in the big leagues like tomorrow, probably. Um, He is very advanced. Uh, But again, they'll they'll probably start him and, you know, they'll move him aggressively because that's what the White Sox do.
0: But that's what the White Sox do. The other thing I'll say is, is that I, the fact that he was drafted by the White Sox, if you ask me what are teams that couldn't get the most out of a guy, the White Sox are one that I feel – I feel like the fact that Carson Fulmer was drafted by the White Sox gives them actually a little bit better chance that he'll start because that's the team that does really well with developing pitching. So um, I, I kind of feel a little better about that from, from that standpoint.
2: Now, they didn't have a second or third rounder right. or anything else on day one because they signed all those free agents. Uh, so that means that the rest of this class is, uh, you know, there's just not as much of it, and they didn't have as much money to play with, uh, so it is it is a little less interesting after that. Blake Hickman at Iowa converted catcher uh, has shown good stuff on the mound now. Uh, that that's probably Jordan
0: Stevens is a guy who uh, pitched uh, well, Rice coming off of uh, injury and uh, TJ if I remember right and and really. Showed pretty good stuff this year. Again, uh, a guy I, I gives you another arm, another power arm that that the White Sox seem to do a pretty good job with uh, doing you know things that. Speaking of power, Corey Azzangari, uh from uh, from Oklahoma. They they list him as a first baseman. I think that's the wise choice. Big time power also has shown 96 off the mound in the past. Now, when he's throwing that 96, you don't want to be standing anywhere around the batter's box because you don't know where it's going to go. But but you are talking about a guy who, and uh, all significant raw power, put on a show in the uh, Oklahoma High School playoffs this year, put on a show really all year. So it, when you talk about a, a sixth-round pick, a guy, again, they assume, if you draft a sixth-round, you assume you're going to be able to sign him, and as a sixth-round pick, you are getting really pretty significant power there for a sixth-round pick. After that, it is a, uh, again, they didn't have a whole lot of money, understandably, and so Uh, Chris Camito is a guy who I think probably is best served going, their 15th round pick, probably best served going to to college. But, uh, you know, some guys I talked to liked him a little bit. Uh, After that, is there anyone else that really jumps out to you there? Or are we moving on to the... uh, No, I
2: think uh, the White Sox did their draft spending last winter. Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
0: Which moves us to a team that generally does pretty well in the draft. So what do you think of the Reds?
2: I think there's a lot to like about this draft uh, They started with Tyler Stevenson Who is uh, reportedly in the mix For the, the Diamondbacks there at one He's the best high school catcher in the class And uh, at one it would have been uh, it would, it would have been a reach. surprise It would have been, uh, it would have been a money saver The Red you know, High school catching is a, a tough Tough thing to develop But the Reds have had success in the past And so if they take a high school catcher uh, You know I think that's a good place For that guy to go uh, and then Santillion, their second-round pick, that's that's just a lot, of, uh, a lot of upside there. He's a little raw. Tanner Rainey, their, their, uh, their next pick there The closed out day one for them is a senior, two-way guy out of West Alabama, but he's going to pitch, and they're going to start him. He's never started before, but he's got the stuff that he might be able to do it.
0: I said that checked off Reds draft bingo in so many ways because, <laughs> A, they love to draft college relievers and move them to starters. B. They like to draft pitchers who are two-way players, who I think you know, who often they're relieving. The pitching was secondary to them in many ways, and then they kind of say, "Now you are going to focus on pitching." Michael Lorenzen, Vince Red's draft bingo very well, and uh, and again, you you talk about a guy they can do that at that point, and and probably as a, as a D two senior, you know, this is not going to, you're not having to break the bank for this guy either. You put it all together, and then Blake Tran, their third round pick, huge first round buzz. I mean, that's a guy that, again, if you're talking Reds draft bingo, the Reds love to draft productive, gamer-type college middle infielders. Trahan has a little bit more tools than some of those guys. I mean, I'm going back to, you could go back to uh, Chris Velaika and and, uh, Red Turner. You know, they love those kind of guys. Blake Trahan probably has a little bit more chance to stay at shortstop than most of those guys that they draft like that. and, again, as you said, like, if he had been taken, especially if he had been taken as, as lottery picks a round, which I was the worst name ever, but uh, if, if he had been taken then, no one would have batted it an eye. We'd have gone, yeah, that makes sense. So that was a, a, a pretty impressive pick to be able to pick him at, at pick 84. Um, after that, I, again, I thought this was just a, a pretty solid... Uh, across-the-board draft.
2: Well, I like their 12th-round pick, uh, Alexis Omar Diaz from Puerto Rico. Uh, That's Edwin Diaz's uh, younger brother, Mm -hmm. the Mariners' prospect, and there are a lot of people down there that think uh, Alexis could be following uh, Edwin's developmental path, which would be fantastic for the Reds, obviously, for the 12th-rounder to to if he's able to follow Edwin's footsteps
0: if you're playing reds two-way pitcher player bingo also tyler payton uh should be on your card their 33rd rounder who did the same thing in iowa um eli marrero is probably their uh security blanket pick because the catcher uh son of eli Morero who will uh will likely be headed to school but that was their 29th round pick uh Again, it was just a, a
2: pretty solid. Riley Thompson, thirty-seven yeah. from Louisville, uh, had People Tommy have... John surgery re- very recently. Uh, but you know, that, I mean, the if you're looking for security security blankets, that that's another one for them. Eli Marrero is headed to uh, Mississippi State. It looks like.
0: So, but no, I think we're both kind of in agree in agreement that hey, Jimmy Herget. Even I'll throw one more of the sixth round pick they had. A lot of guys who I talked to really, you know, were impressed with him as a, a pitcher who knows how to pitch.
2: He uh, he is. His arm slots are—he uh, he messes around with his arm slots. He'll go over the top. He'll go from down down side sidearm. He doesn't throw very hard no matter where. Uh, it's an okay fastball, but he doesn't throw very hard. But he knows how to pitch. He gives you a lot of different looks. And even if he's a reliever, there's definitely value they're there in the sixth round. They're
0: very different— but it's not a whole lot, because they do it in different ways. But the, tra- the, the the story that you're telling is not a whole lot different than the Ben Lively story. Ben Lively is better.
2: But, also South Florida.
0: Yes, but exactly. And that's why I was going there. Is, is you If you were ta- if we were talking about Ben Lively when they drafted Ben Lively, what we would say is, is here's a guy who doesn't have a plus fastball, but really knows how to pitch. And that's what we're saying about Jimmy Hurgit They just do it in a little bit different way. So that moves us on. So that's the Reds. And so now we're going to go on to the Indians. And... I know we've talked a little bit about the, the start at the top here with Brady Aiken. This was the uh, the Indians. We were kind of wondered where Brady Aiken was going to go. I don't think either of us saw that he was going to end up in Cleveland.
2: That was the most surprising thing of the night for me uh, was Brady Aiken at 17. I think we both thought Dodgers was probably the most likely... Uh, uh, that was where uh, John Manuel had been tying them in the mock draft or had been tying him in the mock drafts for, for a few weeks at that point. And, uh, you know, he... made sense as a Dodgers pick he makes sense anywhere he's really really good when he's healthy but uh for the Indians to get so the Indians don't pick until 17 they don't have a huge bonus pool it's only seven million dollars a little more than that maybe 7.7 they get Brady Aiken Tristan McKenzie and Juan Hillman all on the first day of the draft that's three big upside arms they don't pick until 17 and they walk away with those three guys they sign all three of those guys that's Which okay. we have
0: to expect that they, again, it's, we're not going to say we expect because the Brady Aiken we don't know. I mean, right.
2: That that is a that is a giant wild card. But if they, you know, they if they get those guys, that's incredible. And Brady Aiken, you know, I, I've said before on the podcast, I've said I've said it many times that, you know, that guy, you know, I, I'm not a doctor. I haven't seen his medicals. You know, none of that. But if he's healthy. He's incredibly talented, and you get that guy. That guy went number one overall, and the Indians get him a year ago. And a year later, the Indians get him at 17. And there's a lot of risk there for many, many reasons. But you know, they say that they they were comfortable with it, and that they like his delivery, and that they could wind up with you know just an incredible talent.
0: That's another guy when we we said this with Benintendi. That is, an, if you said who could end up being the best guy to come out of this class, Brent Aikens the guy we could look back and say that was the best guy in this class. I mean, this was a guy who had one, one talent last year—not money save or anything, just one, one talent. And again, if the TJs find if there are no further issues because of you know everything we've heard with the the smaller you know ligament all that—if if that clears up, there is literally nothing else here that concern that's that concerning. It is premium. Premium stuff.
2: It's just about getting that guy in the system. And then they take Mark Mathias, Tyler Krieger, and Kai Tom, and all three of those guys just know how to hit.
0: And Mark Mathias, if Mark Mathias had not been hurt this year, you know. Same coming, for Tyler Krieger, I think, you know, too. If, in both of those cases, they probably don't last to there. So I, I like taking guys who, you know, who you say, okay, we're taking a slight gamble on a guy who's been injured. Because in Mathias' case, especially, like, you, you want to see. I mean, he's, he's a second baseman who. You don't say this very often, but he's a second baseman. He's a second baseman, but he can slide, you know, he, he's almost good enough defensively that you can slide him over to the other side of the, the diamond. I mean, that's not something you very often say about a college, you know, when you're, when you're drafting a guy as a second baseman. Usually it's the other way around. You're, ah, he's a shortstop, and he'll probably end up having to go to second. Um, Kai Tom, I'll be fascinated to see. Kai Tom can really hit. He does not fit a profile at all if he's a corner outfielder for it, if he's a left fielder then he's kind of a, a, a square peg in a round hole. But I do think that there's a chance that, you know, we may... I, I would be shocked at all if it instructs this year. You hear, oh, Kai Tom's playing second base, and we're going to see how that works. And all of a sudden, this is an organization that did that very well, obviously, with a guy named Jason Kipnis, who first started doing it, as you see in the Baseball America write-up, who first started dabbling at second base when he was a freshman at Kentucky. Um, Tom has worked out there right before the draft. He did... they. Filmed him, sent it to scouts and all that. Slight chance, but if he can stick at second, then all of a sudden he profiles very well. Uh, and that's another interesting guy to me. Obviously, Ryan Perez, their twelfth rounder, fascinating, fascinating as a you know as the as one newspaper put it, as an amphibious uh, pitcher, but as an ambidextrous pitcher who has legitimate stuff from both sides of the. Yeah, it's
2: uh, really from the left side, and that's how they announced him. I don't know if they'll keep him switch pitching or not, but. Uh... If they did can, announce him as a left-hander.
0: Uh, and then uh, there's several guys that they took later on that are, that are kind of cheeseball-type guys for me. Daniel Salters, the catcher they took in the 13th round out of Dallas Baptist, is a catcher who can hit. Little question how well he is defensively, but I'll say this for him. The man knows how to handle velocity because he was at Dallas Baptist. He was catching guy after guy after guy who were 94, 95, 96 uh, Daniel Sprinkle, their 15th rounder, is a very athletic pitcher from Arkansas who kind of is a little bit raw, but there's a lot of upside there. And I think there's a chance that he he may, you know, that's the guy they may be able to sign. Probably a little less likely that Luke Wakamatsu, uh, son of Don Wakamatsu, signs. But he's a very polished for a high school uh, shortstop who just really needs to get stronger. Uh, Chandler Day, their 30th rounder is probably going to school, but that's kind of one of those uh, fallback plan guys because he has legitimate top 10 round talent. And then Garrett Benj, who they took uh, in the 22nd round out of junior college, who put up as good a year, you know, again, junior college numbers can be a little bit insane, but the guy hit 502 with a 600 on base and a close to 1,000 slugging. It was a very good year. He's an Oklahoma State commit. I'll be interested to see if they can sign him, but that guy... Uh, can really hit and has really hit. It was really the questions coming out of the high school. Whereas, is he need to get bigger? He has gotten somewhat bigger. Uh, I, again, a lot of uh, a lot of kind of guys that are very interesting to me.
2: Well, the Indians uh, mm-hmm. stuck with the best player available approach. They've been known as that kind of team, you know, firmly as that kind of team for a few years now, and they they definitely stuck with it. And I think if you do look at what they did yesterday on day three of the draft, you see a lot of lot of really good talents getting taken and that is probably just in case something does go wrong at the top of the draft um, you know whatever that might be they, they do have several fallback options uh, several and we'll, we'll see if Nick they Nick Madrigal is
0: another fallback option I,
2: there's Luke Wakamatsu Nick Madrigal A.J. Graffinino Chad Smith out of Wallace State uh, Tristan English um, I mean, they're all over the place here and uh Oh, they probably they don't also, need they them. They took Garrett but
0: Wolfer also. Garrett yeah. Wolf, who's the... Uh, uh, if any team is tied to the Texas ranch at this point, I, I think we could say that the Indians are tied to the Texas ranch. And so not really a surprise. I expect him to go to school, but not really a, a surprise that the Indians are the team that takes the son of Ron Wolfert. I don't think there's any real question that, that is, <laughs> uh When you heard that pick, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know? But uh, so that's the Indians. So that means that we are moving on to the Rockies. Who, uh, again, if you're picking as high as they were, understandably, it, it looks like you know you gotta like some of the guys that they picked up.
2: Well, they're the ones that end up with Brendan Rodgers, who again was number one on the BA 500, and uh, that's that's a great start at number three. <laughs> uh, and then they take Nick, Mike Niekro at number 27, and uh, he had an up and down spring, but at times looked like he might be the best high school pitcher in the class. Uh, they drew... There was a lot
0: of guys in that battle for the best pitcher in the, in the high school. I, I don't
2: know who the best high school pitcher was. That's that's a very intriguing discussion that you can have, and uh, many people will tell you many different things. Maybe Mike Nickarak was it. Even at the end of it all, uh, you know, they, they just they just got a lot of guys like that. You know, but when you start with Brendan Rodgers... You know, that's that's a very, very good place to start. Uh, he was basically number one on the board from start to finish for here at Baseball America. And he's um, very, very talented high school player. Uh, you know There are maybe some questions about whether he can stay at shortstop, but I think most teams probably think he's a shortstop. If he did move to third he base, has... he'd be a very, very good defensive third baseman. He'll be probably a fine defensive shortstop. And he hits. And he hits for power.
0: And long track record on the showcase circuit, and you're not projecting on, a lot of times with the high school shortstop, you're projecting on, okay, well, we expect there to be strength gains and all that. Uh, as I like how a couple of scouting directors put it to me even before the season ever started, they said, this is a college shortstop. You're drafting a physical college shortstop who's still in high school. You're not asking to need, you don't really need projection there because he has present strength and he's a guy who's up the middle. Those don't come around very often, and that's one of the, to me, that's one of the more uh, intriguing parts of, of kind of who he is. And, and then after that, I mean, uh, I, I, this is a draft be, you would expect. They get to pick, they had four picks on day one, and they got four quite talented players with those picks that we assume we'll be able to sign.
2: I think the most interesting thing about this draft for me is that in Recent years, we've seen them draft a lot of college pitchers. You know, they get Gray and Butler, and last year, uh, you know, they did it again. And this year, they didn't load up on college pitching. They they take David Hill in the fourth round and then Parker French in the fifth round. But there's a lot of high school pitching before them. There's Mike Nickerak, there's Peter Lambert and Javier Medina, and those are all high school arms. And you know, maybe that's just the way their draft board fell this year. Uh, but it is a little bit of a deviation from the last couple years uh, for Colorado. And, and it's always interesting to see how Colorado approaches the pitching market because of the you know, the things they have to deal with at Coors Field.
0: And after that, when they did go college pitching, what they really did a lot of their college pitching was they wanted guys who... I, what jumps out to me, and some of this was is that these were some of the less expensive guys also, but they wanted... Pitchers who can really pitch.
2: Yeah, uh, Hill, French, and Jack Winecoff, the and Tracillian, yeah, I mean, that, those are all. Those are th- um, you know guys right right in the first ten rounds, and and, and they're all you know they're, they're all they all know how to pitch. That they all
0: don't really have a whole lot of plus stuff. Right. Like yeah. Have. It's
2: not. It's not stuff. It's more control, and it's more you know an understanding of the craft.
0: Um, after the uh, you know you get to the after the tenth round. And it really, again, they, they don't have a whole lot of guys here. You know, the high upside guys after the 10th round. Um, there's some fascinating guys on here. Logan Kozar had a monster year at Ohio as a guy. James
2: who, McMahon at Southern Miss. Uh, you know, both those guys were pitchers of the year. And... Um, Mid major leagues, both seniors. Neither one of them is an exceptional prospect, but they perform this year.
0: Sam Thelly, I uh, think I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right from uh, Arkansas Little Rock is a. Uh, it kind of fits that similar profile. Um, Eric, Tol, Eric Tool, who's uh, got a brother in uh, the Indian system, is a very productive, likely fourth outfielder uh, in in pro ball. And you know, then they did take Wyatt Cross, who was number five hundred on our. Uh, uh, it was
2: injured uh, this year and wasn't, wasn't able to play, play fully, but, uh, and he'll probably wind up at, at UNC because of that, but that's a local pick that uh, maybe turns into something. And they take Jensen Park, who I feel obligated to mention uh, because that is Bill Mitchell's personal cheese ball, and Bill did the Four Corners coverage for us. Jensen Park is a senior out of northern Colorado and had an incredible year this year. Uh, and so the Rockies uh, grab the local college kid.
0: That moves us on to the Tigers. So, what jumps out from the Tigers uh, draft to you?
2: Well, the Tigers, uh, you know, you, you think of them and you think of SEC and you think of Velocity, and, well, and, and that's what they else did. And is a reliever. <laughs> yes. And that's <laughs> what.
0: <laughs> that, that, is, that is Tigers draft bingo. Tigers draft bingo is hard
2: throwing SEC likely reliever. That is, that is what they did. Bo Burrows at the top of the draft is a high schooler, but he might have the best velocity of any high schooler in the draft. Not named Donnie
0: Everett. I'll still go Donnie Everett. Uh, Bo
2: Burrows, my, I, they're right there. Those, those, are, those are the two high-velocity guys in this draft. Uh, I think we had Donnie Everett as the highest and best tools, but Bo Burrows was in the top three. Uh, Christian Stewart uh, goes the SEC route. Uh, he's an outfielder with power. Uh, Stop me if you've heard that before with the Tigers.
0: Tyler Alexander, though, does not fit this. Uh,
2: he does not, but Drew Smith does, their Drew next Smith pick. Drew uh, The hard-throwing right-hander out of Dallas Baptist. But no, Tyler Alexander is a little different uh, sophomore left-hander from, from TCU.
0: Who knows how to pitch. Remember what we were just talking about, about these guys who know how to pitch? Tyler Alexander fits that description. He's a guy who knows how to pitch. The fastball is really not a plus fastball in any way, but he has touch and feel and reasonably... Quality stuff that, if he maintains it, should be enough.
2: And the Tigers took Cam Gibson in the fifth round. You might have heard of his father. He hit a kind of important home run in the World Series for the Dodgers,
0: H- and also played for the Tigers and was like their star. For yeah,
2: it's weird. I think of him as a Dodger because of that home run, but really, everyone sh- that's you know saw him play probably right. Thinks of that's him as a a tiger. I'm older than you, so <laughs> to me,
0: I do think of him as a Tiger who then went to the Dodgers. So, um, but you know. Cam Gibson, who has some of the athleticism that his father has, I do think that that swing is going to probably need some work in uh, pro ball. But Kate Savick, they took in the fourth round, is a catcher who really, who really hit this year. Uh, we'll see. Hey, we got two. You know, really, if he can match what he did this year, then that's a steal in the fourth round. But there are questions about if he's gonna if that was kind of at the upper end of what he can hit, and there's also questions about him defensively, but. Again, it's a fourth round pick. We'll we'll see. Um, after that, uh, Trey Tickle, who they took in the ninth round, fits exactly what we're talking about. He's probably a hard throwing reliever in uh, in pro ball that that fits very well with, with what they like. They did take a uh, a couple of guys at the back end of the, the top ten rounds who probably will be able to save them a little bit of money. Um, Kyle Dowdy, their twelfth rounder, is a guy I, I kind of found interesting. He really stepped up at Houston this year into a much more larger role than they expected they would because Houston's number one and number two starters pretty much never uh, showed up this year. But you know they showed up, but one had injuries so that he was never any good, and the other just fell apart. So all of a sudden, Dowdy found himself in a much more prominent role and handled the job. So that could be a nice twelfth uh, round pick for them. Uh, you know, AJ Simcox is your area. Do you think he signs, or is that...
2: Uh, He's probably going to go back to school. He's uh, Tennessee's shortstop, and he's been Tennessee's shortstop since uh, his freshman year. Take him in the 14th round. It's interesting. Maybe they get him, but also interesting is that his father, Larry Simcox, former assistant at Tennessee, was just rehired by Tennessee Mm -hmm. this week, and... uh, Probably helps keep him... Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if uh, father is coaching son next year, but uh, I would guess that he is.
0: Uh, they did go very local, uh, also a little bit. Uh, Grant Wolfram, uh, Central Michigan recruit. I'll be interested to see. Uh, there's some talent there. He, he's projection. It's it's not there yet, but he's a big tall, uh, uh, big tall pitcher who, if it all comes together, could be pretty interesting. Uh, and that's that's the name that jumps out to me in there.
2: They drafted Ryan Castellanos, who is Nick's brother, and Nick actually announced the pick yesterday on the conference call, which was kind of cool. Uh, Ryan Castellanos is a, a right-hander out of Nova Southeastern, Illinois transfer. Um, his not his stuff isn't that big, uh, but he's a guy that knows how to pitch and uh, makes for an interesting 25th-round pick.
0: And they do have a couple of fallback plans here that probably do not sign. Uh, Cole McKay. Trey is, Dawson. Uh, and then uh, Jackson Coer at uh, with their last pick. It, those are all guys who would expect to not see them uh, in Tigers uniforms later this year, but... Again, you you never know. But uh, Dayton Dugas, the 29th rounder, is also a guy that's kind of interesting me, but I I don't know if he'll be uh, making it to the uh, Tigers or if he's headed to school. So that covers the Tigers, which moves us on to the team that really uh, had the ability to kind of dominate this draft, and that's exactly what they did, the Astros.
2: The Astros uh, just had an incredible first night. Uh, You know, They had the money to make that happen. They're bonus pool is $17 million, and that's the largest one by far. Uh, And they have two top picks, two of the top five picks. And, I mean, they made it work. And
0: they ended up getting three of the top ten players in this draft.
2: You can say they needed to do something like that, and that's fine. But I think it's also important that, like, they did do it. Like, I'm still impressed that they pulled this off days later. All,
0: All that, I mean, again it could have all fallen apart. It could have. It all falls apart the minute that any one team, again, we heard rumors that, you know, like we heard rumors before that they may have a deal for Cameron to slide to them, their supplemental pick. That's not written in stone, because all you need is one team to say, you know, we select as Cameron, which we, you know, we heard rumors that it came pretty close to that happening. Um, But so it's not like something where it is cast in stone that you're going to be able to make that work they made it work they got 3 of the top 10 players on RBA 500
2: to land Alex Bregman Kyle Tucker and Daz Cameron it's just an incredible haul and if they sign them all which they probably will it's that the Astros had an incredible draft it it, it really can't be overstated and yes having two top 5 picks helps but you know, to to actually complete your plan is yeah, it, it's just very impressive, and they added a ton of talent to the system just right. in those picks.
0: And and now, their draft their draft was largely done. By you get to round four, and it's starting to be okay. Now let's save the money to to make so we can.
2: Well, the thing with the Astros is they always like college performers anyway. Uh, I mean, if you if you look at them yeah. under Jeff Lue and Michael Elias, how they've drafted, they they draft college performers because uh, that's what the analytics tell them to do, and it works out pretty well. I mean, look at Preston Tucker; mm-hmm. that's a guy that uh, you know was overlooked as a junior, didn't go all that well as a senior either, and now he's in the big leagues playing pretty well for them.
0: Yeah, but and you look at it, what they did is they drafted a whole lot of productive productive college players who they should be able to sign for significantly under slot. And a number of guys who are pretty interesting. I mean, you could start with... okay. Well, Before we get there, Thomas Eshelman, they take the second round, best control in this draft. By far. By far. Best command in this draft, by far. The stuff is is okay, not great. But again, when you talk about guys who are going to go out, I, I would be fascinated to see what level they end up sending him out to because that guy... You, you send that guy to, to, to A-ball, and it's like...
2: The Astros don't seem like they're very aggressive with their initial assignments, but they become aggressive right. when, they, when you guy, show that you can handle it, and, and they will...
0: He's a guy who will they'll need to be aggressive with, because low A hitters, it'd be literally like, you have no hope. None. <laughs> none. None. But you go past him, Riley Farrell, who really liked that pick in the third round, because this is a guy, I know he tailed off a little bit late in the year, And people can focus on that. But this is a guy with legit top, one of the best relievers in this draft class. Um, And I think you look at him and say, he may have worn out a little bit this year. Maybe he needs to work on his conditioning a little bit. But, you know, all that. But legitimate, you know, excellent stuff. And then you get into a whole lot of interesting kind of, again, likely to be less expensive guys. Trent Thornton, their fifth rounder. Michael Freeman, their seventh rounder, you, you've, you're probably tired of hearing me talk about Michael Freeman. Again, does he do it conventionally? Absolutely not. If I describe a six foot eight lefty who drops down kind of to a low slot and then really depends on an 85 to 89 mile an hour fastball over and over and over, that doesn't sound all that interesting. But what he does with that 85 to 89 mile an hour fastball, which is really like four pitches for him, because he can run it, he can cut it, he can sink it, he can. He does so much with it that, again, if you said, and maybe they started, but especially if you said put him in the pen, he could move pretty quickly. Now, he may hit a ceiling at some point. Maybe he hits a point and they go, yep, he just doesn't have enough velocity. But he may not. And if he doesn't, you're talking about a lefty reliever who may make it very quickly. Um, And then you go, you keep going, and there's, after the 10th round, Kevin McKenna is a productive college pitcher who, has shown at a uh, you know at a, at a uh, at Rice that he really knows how to pitch. You you can kind of keep going down the list, and you're going to see more guys like that. Um, Cole Sands for them is kind of a uh, they they have him as a in uh, Luke and Baker they took late is a is very much Luke and Baker is the either one of those guys. If something fell through with one of these top guys, and they you know they've saved money elsewhere. Then you do have a fallback plan because Luke and Baker would be a great fallback plan.
2: Well, uh, yes. Last night I was doing a Houston show and I mentioned Cole Sands in that context and then totally whiffed on mentioning Luke and Baker. And that's that's really the one I should have. Uh, Luke and Baker uh, is you know an incredible talent, uh, candidate for high school player of the year, uh, two way guy, and uh, legit
0: like he is really the, really he is truly one of those guys, guy. legitimate two way guy that. If you said, if he had not already said, I'm going to school, and you know, I'm planning to go to school, he is a guy who's good enough that he would have been, if he had said, you know what, I'm a hitter, and the only way to draft me as a hitter, he'd have been drafted well as a hitter. And if he just said, you know what, I'm a pitcher, and the only way you can draft me as a pitcher, he'd have been drafted well as a pitcher. Legitimate, not like he could kind of do one or the other. Power arm, power bat.
2: And now he'll do both at TCU. And he will be a stud there. And interestingly, he uh, was attending orientation, according to his Twitter, uh, during the draft. Uh, but Cole Sands is the younger brother of Carson Sands, who the Cubs drafted in the fourth round last year. And uh, it looks like Cole is going to stay at home and attend Florida State. He's from Tallahassee. Uh, but you know, that he's, uh, he's one of the better high school in, in a very loaded High school pitching class in Florida. Uh, he is one of the one of the group that makes that that class so good. Um, and I again, I, I expect him to be at Florida State, but the Astros um, are able to make a run at him if they so choose. Now
0: that moves us on to the Royals. With the Royals, are you expecting they're going to draft some power arms? And guess what? They drafted some power arms.
2: Well, they start off with a couple of high school right-handers out of uh, Indiana. Who state, faced each other state definitely known for its high school pitching <laughs> <laughs> um, but this, this was year,
0: the best year this was probably the best year of Indian high school pitching in quite a while
2: um, and Ash Russell Nolan Watson very good very good uh, high school pitchers uh, Ash Russell definitely well actually they both were in the mix for uh who's that who's the best high school pitcher in the class.
0: Nolan Watson did a good job of kind of moving into that consideration this spring. He's the guy who really helped himself some this spring.
2: Yeah, Ash was more that guy potentially uh, coming into the year uh, and Nolan Watson entered that conversation. Uh, And Josh Stalmont uh, has two plus pitches, potentially two even 70 or 80 grade pitches, uh, but he has absolutely no idea where the ball is going. It is.
0: If you were grading, it could be Let's be conservative. Let's, I, but I think you could throw an 80 on the fastball. I,
2: I think it's an 80 fastball, and I've seen some people say 70 on the breaking ball.
0: And then you say, okay, so what about control? And then you go, okay, well, present control. I mean, if you can go throw a 30 on that, you're a very, you're, you're pretty optimistic. <laughs> uh,
2: but right? it's, I mean,
0: like, if you have teams that do it by metrics, it's a 20 control. Yeah, I mean, it's 20,
2: and it's a Division Two guy. Uh, but we'll see what the the Royals' development. You take team him is. at
0: 64, and you know what? Again, if they can fix it. All of a sudden, he adds to – this is a team that loves its bullpen. He would add to a, another power arm. And you know what? Sometimes you, you put it all together. Anderson Miller in the third round for them, very, very productive player at a smaller school, Western Kentucky. Uh, very intriguing. I mean, tools too. I like that guy. I had I had someone put it as like, if he'd been in the SEC, he'd be going really, really well. And so I kind of like that as a, to get a guy with the 98th pick in the draft. After that, they uh, they went kind of uh, um, a little bit off the board on a couple of guys who made Well,
2: I hate to say anybody went off the board in day two because this year is just so oh. just so strange. And,
0: and people need to understand that one thing: like we've had scouting directors say to us or scouts say, they laugh and they go, "I feel for you guys. You're trying to reflect a consensus list. There is no consensus this year. None." And if there's not consensus, it really does make it hard to line up a board. Because, I mean, I'll put it this way. There, this is a year where if you took two teams and put their boards side by side, you would have trouble finding matches. I mean, because it's just so wide open. But Andre Davis, uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff left-hander, big, tall left-hander, throws really hard. I, I would be honest. I didn't know anything. You know, that, that's my area. I whiffed on him. I didn't have, I, I didn't have good Arkansas Pine Bluff coverage. Um, which they hadn't had anyone drafted, I think, before him in a
2: long time. So well, they took Roman Collins in the fifth round, an outfielder from Florida Atlantic. Uh, I had to uh, write him up because uh, he, he no, he's a junior. He did not make the BA five hundred though, and uh, he's very athletic. He was a junior college player of the year a year ago, uh, and he goes on to Florida Atlantic, and uh, you know, he had an okay spring, but he's uh, super athletic, uh, and he comes from Minnesota and then played his junior college ball in Iowa. So you know, there, there's some projectability there. You know, that, that's not a typical Florida kid that, that's played baseball you know, 12 months a year his whole life. So uh, th- there's, there's still some rawness to his game, but it, it's intriguing.
0: Then they have a number of guys. Some of these I do think are fallbacks, but I think a couple of these guys. Ben Johnson the 11th round. You take him in the 11th round, I think you think you have a chance to sign him. And that guy is a legitimate top five, six-round talent. You take in the eleventh because you're not sure you're going to be able to sign him, and there's no penalty if you don't. But Ben Johnson, as an athletic outfielder, really had a very good year. It took him a little while to put it all together because he, you know, he had a lot of football background and all. But if you want a shorthand for it, is is he can't help but draw this comparison? Is is kind of a poor man's Drew Stubbs with maybe a little bit better feel for hit, but not as much speed, as much power. But potential center fielder, again, I don't know if he plays center fielder for the Royals because the Royals center fielders have to be 80 runners, it, it seems like, a lot of the time. But, um, but he's interesting. Travis Mazes, their 13th-round pick out of Michigan, played shortstop there. I don't know where he'll play, but he'll play a lot of different positions, probably. Productive player. Marquise Doherty, their 15th-round pick, this is, to me, the guy who they're not going to get him, probably. He's going to Missouri as a uh, two-way guy, going to play football, probably a wide receiver there, and going to play baseball as well. I think Doherty is a guy that three years from now we could look at and go, this guy's really intriguing because I think he does love baseball. And his baseball, right now as a baseball player, he doesn't look as good as I think he's going to look because he played running back in high school. And I think he, he packed on some good weight for football that wasn't good weight around the chest for baseball. I think he'll really blossom uh, you know, in college. And then I kind of like Matt Dittman, the, the, the Rice, another Rice pitcher. They took the 16th round is a little bit better than your average day three uh, college pitcher. But those are the guys that kind of stand out to me uh, from this group. Anyone else to to you?
2: Well, uh, Jeffrey Harden, their 20th round pick out of Chipola, throws very, very hard. And uh, I've heard some comparisons uh, just physically to him uh, for Craig Kimbrell. And Harden's going to be a reliever too. Uh, He's fits very
0: much with what the Royals love to do. Yeah, he's
2: listed at 5'9", and he throws hard, and he'll be a good arm out of the bullpen if they are able to get him in the 20th round. I I don't know.
0: Okay, that moves us on to the Angels, who had one of the more, I'll just call it, interesting picks that we saw in the first round.
2: Well, they, they took Taylor Ward, and we talked about Austin Rye potentially being the best college catcher, and so they take Taylor Ward, and he ultimately is the first college catcher drafted, and he really can catch... They're just questions about uh, the bat and uh, how, how much he'll hit. Uh, but you are getting a very good defender there. And then they take Jemiah Jones. It's
0: the Jeff Mathis starter kit. Uh, that ways.
2: is. Uh, they like those guys. And then they take Jamiah Jones, a high school outfielder uh, from Georgia. In the second round, he's very athletic. His father played in the NFL. His older brother plays in the NFL. Um Jemiah was uh, you know, a, a good football player before he stopped playing to, to focus on baseball himself. Uh, and, and he
0: very much fits... I mean, he checks off some Angels draft bingo. There have been a number of uh, athletic uh, uh, outfielders from Georgia that they've drafted over the years. Some of them, unfortunately, have not worked out. Uh, so <laughs> work, but, but that is something that they've gone to that well before. Um, Grayson Long, for them, their third rounder, kind of fits again that polished college pitcher. That's the perfect... There's a lot of those guys taken, you know, third through really sixth, seventh round before we get into the college senior version of the polished college pitcher. Um, Jared Foster, their fifth rounder, I, I kind of like as a guy. Again, we talk about football, baseball. He's kind of been a backup quarterback for LSU at various times during his career. But uh, I mean, probably I'll be interested to see if they've tried to play in the center field. He didn't play center field at LSU because LSU had literally much of the time three center fielders on the field. And Andrew Stevenson is going to be the center fielder for them, but but there's a Foster has much more. I probably has more tools overall tools than Stevenson did, who went better than him. So that was an interesting one to me. Uh, Kyle Servants is a, a pretty tooled up outfielder out of Houston, their eighth round pick, who really just needs to have a little bit better approach and needs to kind of uh, you know right now when he gets in slumps, it seems like the slumps last longer than they need to. So he's got to do that, but there's definitely some tools there. Who else jumps out to you?
2: Uh, well, I have to say that when they took Aaron Cox in the 19th round, I didn't know who that was. But when I learned that that was the brother of Mike Trout's girlfriend, that, uh, that fascinated me. Uh, you know, he, uh, a, he was a two-way guy, uh, but they drafted him as a right-hander. Uh, we'll see what that turns out as, but uh, that, that's just a fun little... Well, in the in the day three, you get these fun little storylines, and that was one of the most fun storylines for me, of day three of the draft.
0: Sam Koenig, uh, Koenig uh, the uh, outfitter out of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, had a monster season. Um, that guy... He, the he, medical on him is very long. The medical is very long. That's why he lasts to that point. And again, we ranked him 210. I probably overranked him because... The medical probably did frighten a lot of teams off. That being said, he has legitimate tools, um, is a very interesting player. Again, if he can stay healthy, better than the average guy that you can get in the twenty. a lot better than the average guy you can get in the 27th round. This is the Angels. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he has a uh, I'll, I'll, uh, a Mike Fish. Remember him having a monster AZL? I wouldn't yes. be surprised at all if, if, if that we're talking about that kind of story uh,
2: yeah. Brendan Sainer, their fourth rounder, uh, led Florida Atlantic and hit in all three years of his career. Just another one of those guys that that knows how to hit.
0: But before we wrap up on them, with Ward, you know, I, I know the thing is, is when you take a Paulus catcher, it's a demographic that does concern me a little bit because, you, you know, if you can't, if you're if the concern's about the hit tool, that to me... I don't think of a whole lot of guys who really, like, you look at it. Sometimes it does happen with catchers where the hit tool's behind because they work so hard on catching. Yadier
2: Molina is, like, the, the outlier the, the, that the, everyone hopes that that they're getting. But yeah, the, the standard for hitting for big league catchers is so low right now is. that if you can catch in the big leagues and be, you know, uh, even average, but Taylor Ward could be above average defensively, he really doesn't have to hit that much.
0: That is true. So that moves us on to the Dodgers, and what did you see on this Dodgers list that uh, that I felt like again we we had heard the rumors that maybe they were a, uh, a, a the Aiken landing point if that was the case and they had to kind of scramble they scrambled well
2: well you know I, I talked about how well I felt like the Indians did not picking until seventeen well the Dodgers didn't pick until twenty four and I think they did very they made out very well they on did. day one
0: I, I, you look at their top five picks I love them.
2: Uh, Walker Buehler, Kyle Funkhauser, Mitch Hansen, Josh Spores, Phil Pfeiffer. even uh, really, Willie Calhoun. I Willie love Calhoun. Calhoun, yeah, take it to take it all the way to their sixth pick. Uh, you know, th- 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 there's a lot there's a lot to like from that group. Uh, you know, Walker Buehler and Kyle Funkhauser have uh, track records of, of succeeding in college. Funkhauser faded down the stretch, and that's why he's available to them at the 35th overall pick. Uh, and then Mitch really Han- the
0: knock on Buehler to is. One knock on Bueller is, is just that he's never been as a prominent role as you would expect a guy with that kind of talent. I,
2: I don't think that's the knock. I think the knock is that he's small and that he's. I, I see they have him at 6'2 on the uh, official MLB tracker, but uh, he's probably not quite even that big. And he's bigger than Fulmer. He has a cleaner delivery than Fulmer, but there are people that are. Like, he's just. It's a little slighter, and, you know, people like big right-handers, and he had some injury issues at the start of the season. They were very minor this year, but, you know, I... I think I think the knock is not that he's not the Friday night guy, that he was the Sunday guy this year. I think people were willing to pass on that. He was because, the Sunday
0: guy this year, and he wasn't even a weekend
2: guy last year. Well, they. But the thing about Vanderbilt is the staff is so deep, and then he did move into an important role for the team last year and helped them win the College World Series. And this year, he pitches on Sunday because he didn't start the season healthy. Right. And then they were able to slide a left-hander in between Fulmer and Bueller, and I don't really understand why college coaches do that or are as concerned about doing that as they are, but a lot of college coaches like to split up their right handers with a left hander if at all possible, or their left handers with the right hander. Um, but the, the thing with Bueller, is, is, I, I think, really is just the size. Like, okay, if he's a, you know, finding finding a physical comparison for Walker Bueller is not easy.
0: No, and then Funkhauser at 35 is. It, it, we had him ranked 14th. He was obviously a guy who, if, if, if we talk about some guys having helium, Funkhauser had lead. It, I mean, he
2: was in the top five in the early uh, iterations of the, the Baseball America 500 list.
0: Right. And he did not have a great junior year, showed flashes. I mean, really, when he pitched on a short rest, it got really poor. Um, and then when he went back to having a little long rest, it kind of came back, stuff came back a little bit, all that. But the reality is, if you pick him 35, you're getting a... Uh, that's a pretty good That's party. good value, yeah. And then Mitchell Hansen...
2: It's interesting because he's a Stanford commit, and that's usually thought to be the toughest school to sign anyone away from. And they get him. Although like,
0: Vanderbilt is giving them a run for their
2: money in recent years. I think Vanderbilt is an easier sign than Stanford. I agree.
0: Same, but Vanderbilt in recent years has been giving them a run for their money.
2: Yes, uh, but at 67, if you're taking him there, that would lead me to believe you think you can sign him. And
0: if you can sign him, that is one of the better high school outfitters in his class. He's not in that first group, but he's definitely in the second group of high school outfitters. Uh, once you get past the the Cameron Clark, Tucker. Whitley, Whitley, Tucker, Plummer yeah. group, he's the, he's probably the top of that next group, um, and then Philip Pfeiffer. You know, speaking of Vanderbilt, you know, that's they, the,
2: that's the guy that pitched ahead of Bueller in Vanderbilt's rotation, and uh, you know he uh, he has an interesting story in that he didn't play last year because uh, uh, there were personal personal reasons that he he wasn't on the team. And uh, but he came back this year and he's pitching really really well and uh, his stuff isn't as loud as the other Vanderbilt guys but uh, that's a guy that knows how to pitch and, and uh, you know he has he's got he's got the stuff to succeed in pro ball for sure and
0: then Willie Calhoun their fourth rounder who they who was listed as second baseman which I find interesting but you were talking about monster power for JUCO I mean it was JUCO but he's a littler guy but. There was that was a very loud season.
2: He hit 31 home runs. I, those numbers, like I people people overuse the video game numbers. Uh, they, they that that's a cliche. Willie Calhoun though, those numbers are just a joke. He hit 31 home runs
0: with the, with wood, the wood bat,
2: bat. and uh, all all the rest of his numbers are equally jokey and uh it's it was just a really loud season, and he is smaller and he doesn't really have a true defensive home, but if he is able to translate his hitting ability to the professional ranks, that's a, a potentially a, a very interesting prospect moving forward
0: no, very interesting prospect. We spent so much time on their first picks. we'll just kind of move on from them to the to moving on to the Marlins and uh what This was an interesting. I'll start it again. I'll say this was an interesting draft because they start out with Josh Naylor and they took a guy who, you know, who really had some late helium but was probably not considered by much of anyone else the 12th best player in this draft and they wanted the power.
2: Well, Josh Naylor had first round buzz. It was a late first round buzz, but there was buzz that someone was going to take him in the first round and someone did and it was the Marlins and he has. Uh, you know, he, Luke and Baker and Colin Kendrick were the three guys we had for best power and the best tools for, for high schoolers. Uh, and he's got an incredible amount of power. And he had a really good uh, last month of the season with the Canadian Junior National Team when they went down to the Dominican Republic. He hit a whole bunch of home runs. And, uh, you know, so that's that's what the Marlins are getting there. They're getting a, a high school kid with a lot of power. And... Uh, you know the the, uh, the power you can't you can't ignore it and they you know they got one they got some of the best power in the draft uh, at, at number twelve there you know after that they take Brett Lilac on the second day and that's a guy that's had very mixed results at Arizona State uh, but the stuff is there and it's from the left side and if they can get him straightened out there is something there but he uh, he has had. An up and down career, really, at, at Arizona State, and then Isaiah White, uh, very good tools, very, you know, just a just a toolsy raw outfielder, uh, kind of a kind of a Marlins, uh, you know, they seem to like guys like that, and so if they're if they're able to develop Isaiah White, that's a, that's another very interesting prospect down the line.
0: You go a lot beyond this, uh, they did take, I, I like Chris Paddock a lot, the eighth rounder they took. I, I did have at least one, you know, comparison. It's like, it reminds me of, of uh, if you go back, if you, he's a Texas A&M commit, and it was like, if you go back a few years, he reminds me of what Michael Walker looked like, similar starter set coming out of high school, big guy with fastball changeup. So that's interesting things on him. Riley Hovis was one of the best relievers in college game last year. I think he was hurt this year. He's their, uh, their ninth-rounder. Kelvin Rivas, their tenth-rounder from uh, Oklahoma Baptist, throws really hard and has, a, and has a, a second pitch. So those guys are all kind of interesting. Kyle Barrett, their 15th-rounder, very productive outfielder at Kentucky this year. The thing that jumps out to me, though, is, is you would expect where Naylor went that that would be a below – again, we don't know for sure, but I would expect that that's not going to cost full slot. And I don't know where else that's going. I mean, I don't. They did not take after the tenth round. They really didn't take anyone who looks like a guy that you're going to go significantly over for.
2: Ryan McKay, their eleventh rounder, uh, was kind of I don't want to say pop up this year in Florida, but he he put himself on the map this year, and he'll go above slot. They have a few guys, but no, there, there's no there. There was no uh, you know big. Signability guy that that they have seemingly here on the board. Justin Cohen, their sixth rounder, uh, might be the best high school catcher in Florida this year. Uh, and that's probably an above slot. But you know, there, there's I if if they are going to save a bunch of money on Naylor, it just seems like it's it's not going all the one player. Have, it's it's going to they're, they're they're spread spreading out. it out, and you know we'll we'll just have to see when the bonuses uh, come in what they what what exactly it is the Marlins did with their money.
0: So that takes us to the Brewers, who I'm, I'm a big fan of their first-round pick, Trenton Clark. Uh, I think that guy can good feel for the game with really good tools as well. Uh, and then they take Nathan Kirby after that and Cody Pons. They get a couple of, uh, uh, of, of two of the higher upside arms from the standpoint of to get them in the supplemental first and the second. Both those guys, if everything had come together, could have gone better than that. But it didn't all come together.
2: Yeah, and uh, to get those three guys on day one of the draft, not picking until fifteen, you know that's a that's a very good day. And uh, you know I I like that in the last couple years they've gone a little more upside-y than it seemed like they had been doing in the past. Last
0: year they went as upside as any team could go. All
2: right, and it it's not working out. The early returns on that are not exceptional. And so this year it, they moderated it a little bit instead of taking three high school kids with incredible raw tools. They took one high school kid and then two college guys, and, but they still...
0: Th- and they came back, though, with Nash Walters and Demi. Uh, oh, I'm not going to pronounce that right. Alexis is going to yell at you for that. I know. Sorry, Team C. Hey, Alexis. But, uh, but those are high upside. They took them a little later, though. I mean, if, again, if they can sign Demi in the fourth round, which I assume if you take him in the fourth round, you think you can, that's, that's great value.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, even Eric Hanhold there in the sixth round, uh, Florida right-hander. There's a lot of upside there. For you, know, you look at a typical UF right-hander, you don't think upside, but Hanhold is a guy that's had exceptional summers. He pitched well in the Cape. He pitched well in the Northwoods League, but he can never crack Florida's pitching Insane staff in, in any. Well, he can't even get a, 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 a. He can't make them trust him enough in the bullpen to get uh, you know an important bullpen right. role either because his. Commit, like he just he just hasn't been able to put it all together. But in pro ball, the, He'll brewers, to pitch anyway. the brewers are just going to throw him out there. They're going to start him, I'm sure, and he's going to pitch every fifth day. And he's a guy that in pro ball, you know, might be able to figure it out. Whereas in college, the Florida doesn't it hasn't been able to give him the innings that that he needs. This, this is a minor point. This is a little digression. I'll go off of when they
0: talk about it's it is crazy to throw a blanket over. Part of me may think this is David Price sent out a tweet yesterday. And it's like, guys, don't give up the best three to four years of your life. Go to college, you know, high school top prospects. on go to college, enjoy the best three to four years of life. And that I'm not saying that there are not many cases where going to college is the best plan. One case, though, that is a danger for you is if you are a if you are a guy with a great arm, but with iffy feel for control and command. You fit the poster child of the guy who, if you go to college, it's going to be harder for you to get quality innings than it is in pro ball. Because as you said, in pro ball, it doesn't matter. You may walk eight today, and five days later, you will get a chance to walk eight more. In college, where the games count, understandably, if you walk eight on Wednesday, because you're probably getting a Wednesday start, you may not be starting next Wednesday. And if you walk three when you come in in a relief role, they may hand that to a guy who has less stuff but can get guys out. Because getting guys out matters in college baseball, and it should because these games count. Whereas if you're in the minors, no, you can post your eight walks per nine. You will keep getting out there to go out there and throw. And rush it over.
2: (laughs) So I... It'll it'll be interesting to see what what the Brewers do with him. Uh, you know, I, I think the Gators would have loved to have been able to use him in a larger role, but that is probably the deepest. Well, there are a lot of deep pitching I'll staffs say this Vanderbilt, TCU. year. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, TCU, and Florida. Those those are probably the three deepest pitching staffs. And and uh, I would
0: throw that Dallas Baptist probably matched him as far as relievers.
2: Yes, Hothold has thrown a fair amount of innings this year, but uh, it has been harder for him to get innings than maybe. Uh, his stuff would suggest
0: okay before we wrap up the brewers we have to talk about if this if we were if this draft was under old rules spend as much money as you want and you know and but if you do mlb is going to call you into their office and shake their finger at you and say you shouldn't spend this money if that was the case this brewer's draft is by far the best draft that anyone had this year it's not the old rules they're not going to sign
2: these guys but man
0: they really in the uh, John said,
2: India, Donnie, Donnie Everett, 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 Justin Hooper. The, those Justin are Beck. Those are some of the best high school guys that were available <laughs> on day three of the draft, and they are going to dominate in college ball.
0: Right. You know, they Brewers fans do not get your hopes up. It's almost hard to craft a scenario where you sign any of those guys. It's almost impossible. I don't think I can We were either. trying to explain that to Josh Norris yesterday. Josh was like over under on number of those guys they signed were like zero. And he's like, Really? I could have one through five. I'm like, if we gave you one through five we are gonna sign and we took zero and we don't give you a hundred to one odds, we're giving you a, an unfair bet. I mean that they're not signing, but it was fascinating to see them all get picked. The Bruce
2: did that a year ago too, just for for reference.
0: So that takes us on to the Twins. We're rolling along. <laughs>
2: uh, the Twins grab uh, Tyler Jay, who is a Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, and uh, the Twins, interestingly, seem to like Big Ten Pitchers of the Year uh, in recent years. I, I think that's the third in five years, if I'm recalling what Chris Webb told me. Um, then they get Kyle Cody uh, with their uh, competitive balance pick.
0: Hey, that's a guy. I mean, that is high risk, high reward right there.
2: I mean, that's a guy that had first round. Uh, if we
0: held the draft, if the draft had been held last September, Kyle Cody does not make it out of the first round. Yeah,
2: he's a first rounder. He's got first round stuff, uh, just wasn't able to put it together this year.
0: And the funny thing is, is, like the stuff was still every bit as good, every bit as sharp. It wasn't something where the velocity really backed up and all that. Control wavered, but it wasn't like something where he was walking a hundred guys. He just got hit. It was weird. I don't know what happened there, but it'll be fascinating to watch.
2: And they grabbed Trey Cabbage uh, and Travis Blankenhorn with their next two picks. Uh, high school, high school bats. Uh, Trey Cabbage uh, is a really, really good athlete uh, who came on this year, uh, this spring, as, as a hitter and... Uh, you know, may have been the best hitter in Tennessee, depending on who you ask. It was either him or Bryce Denton. There's also a great video online of him breaking a rim when he dunked this winter.
0: <laughs> and then, speaking of video, they take in the eighth round Colton Kendrick. If you haven't looked at Colton Kendrick BP, two uh, on YouTube, two is the best of the four. Uh, don't watch four. <laughs> four is, slain. It, four is uh, screwed up. It, it's not a good watch. Uh, but massive, massive power. As an, as an eighth-round pick, I really expected him to go much higher in the eighth round. As an eighth-round pick, if he signs, and I think, again, if you take him in the eighth round, you're expecting him to sign. If he signs, uh, it's high risk, high reward. The reward on that is a guy who hits 30-plus homers. The risk is is that you hope he's not a guy who hits under 200. Um, you know, He's the first baseman all the way, but that is, as we've already mentioned, some of the absolute best power in this draft. And, he, again, if it all comes together for him, he is way better than 8th round pick. It's just a question of whether it all, will it all come together. Uh, anyone else that jumps out to you kind of when we get 11th and beyond?
2: Well, before that, the 7th the rounder, uh, Giovanni Moran, is one of the best high school arms in Puerto Rico this year. It was a good year for high school pitching in Puerto Rico, which is a little, little uh, atypical. Uh, but the Twins, you might have heard of Jose Barrios, uh, have have tapped into that market before with some success. So uh, that, is, that is interesting for, for the Twins there with their seventh rounder. Uh, past uh, the tenth round, Tristan Pompey, 31. That's Dalton's younger brother. He probably winds up at Kentucky, but that is notable.
0: Okay, I'll throw out a guy. One round before that, Greg Popleson, uh Juco player out of El Paso, CC. One of the faster guys in this draft class. He's a guy who yeah, I expected he would go late. He was on the Texas list and on the BA 500. But there are some legit tools there. I'll be kind of fascinated to see how that ends up working out. And I, I would, I, oh, and then also Daniel Tilla, who they took in the 39th round, is a very intriguing guy who was a basketball player predominantly with baseball kind of as his second sport. Mr. Basketball in, uh, you know, in, in Iowa this year. And then the college basketball offers didn't come nearly as high as he expected. So he ends up focusing more on baseball. Ends up signing with Kentucky. But there's legit talent there. Um, That's the guy who's got a legitimate arm, uh, left-handed pitcher with athleticism. Again, I don't know if he'll sign as a 39th rounder. It probably goes to Kentucky. But that's the name to kind of keep an eye on. If they do manage to sign him, that is way better than a 39th round pick. So that moves us on to the Mets.
2: Now the Mets didn't have a pick until number 53 uh, because they signed Michael Kadire and lost their first rounder as a result. Uh, so their bonus pool as you know is, is less because of that. Uh, and that. That limits their flexibility a little bit. But so what you saw them do is they take Desmond Lindsay with that first pick, and Lindsay only played in seven games this spring because of hamstring issues, uh, but he has exceptional tools. And if he had been able to play this year, he probably would have ranked much higher than 102 on the B.A. 500. Uh, So the Mets grab him at 53. And then they take, uh, there are a lot of college performers that they took. Um, David Thompson is currently leading the country in home runs with 19. 19. Uh, there's there several others uh, through here Kevin
0: Kosmarski had yeah, he's the had monster monster your second I, in OBP sec, second, did he, I, uh, second? Pirates. when we get the when we get the Pirates I'll talk about number one He's one of my cheese balls
2: so he's the second in, in the country in hitting uh, from Evansville uh, so they got guys like and Chase Ingram uh,
0: Kosmarski might led the nation in batting errors, I think he, I he did yeah I think he I was, did I was talking about OBP oh
2: yeah I, I think Kosmarski is the, the nation's leader in hitting and Ch- Chase Ingram um Florida Juco had, uh, you know, just a, incredible numbers. But one above that, Thomas Sipucky, uh probably has two-plus pitches. The arm slot uh, leads a lot of teams to think he's a reliever. Uh, but if, if it comes together for him, two-plus pitches.
0: Uh, guys after the 10th round, Joe Shaw, who they took in the 12th round out of Dallas Baptist, he was the starter on Dallas Baptist. We talked about these relievers, and they had a ton of power relievers Shaw was a guy who was a little less impressive than scouts had hoped to see this year, but there he has shown in the past premium velocity. Um, you know, Again, if it just takes a step back up, he's pretty interesting. Um, Sixto Torres, I know, is a guy that you were interested in. We've really tried and failed to track down his stats so far. It's a
2: big left-hander. Uh, he uh, transferred in the middle of the year. Which makes it
0: hard to track down stats.
2: That it does. Uh It'll be interesting to see if he signs as a 17th rounder. He's committed to Alabama State.
0: Um, And then uh, I I love when uh, uh, Jake Higginbotham is a guy who's, you know, again, probably heads to school, but it's kind of interesting. I think he was picking the pick after his catcher. What? Uh, Joey Bart. Joey Bart. Joey Bart and Jake Botham, I believe, if I remember right, went like picks eight oh eight and eight oh nine, which was really odd to me when that happened. Just... So
2: we, we talk about we keep talking about this Dallas Baptist hard throwing pitching staff in the Georgia high school ranks, uh, Buford, which is where Hingerbotham is from, is basically that. Like they had four guys and they were all they're all a little shorter, but they, they just had a ton of velocity there. Uh, or just just a good overall pitching staff, and um, you know Higginbotham, not quite as much velocity as some of those guys, but he uh, he probably ends up at Clemson next year.
0: So that moves us on to the Yankees, and the thing that stood out the Yankees, uh, the Yankees we thought were going to go. They've had some injury problems in recent years and all that. They went with very productive college players. Uh, I think that really stands out of what they did in their first with their first three picks. They had a pair of first rounders and. James Caprillion, Kyle Holder, you kind of know what they are, and they may be a little bit lower ceiling than some of these other guys we're talking about, but they also do seem like they are guys who are, are much higher floor.
2: Well, James Caprillion, uh, coming from UCLA, UCLA pitchers, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of trust in UCLA when they when that they develop pitchers. That is one of
0: pitchers. your demographics that you are. Right
2: uh, yeah, I I will. You know what? If they turn a guy out, I will believe in that guy. And James Caprillion, he knows how to pitch. He doesn't have exceptional velocity, or, or although very,
0: very much like at his best this year, you go, yeah, hey, he has,
2: he has a plus va- he'll, he'll flash a plus fastball, but that's a, that's just a guy that knows what he's doing out there. And you know, he he has, very much looks like a big leaguer. And Kyle Holder might be the best college defensive shortstop uh, in the draft. Uh, and then Jeff Degano at Indiana State, uh, coming off some injury stuff, but you know he pitched really well uh, as well.
0: Really, really well this year. It was pretty dominant <laughs> this year. And then they go uh, a little bit higher upside. Drew Finley uh, is uh, uh, in that second group of, of, of high school arms this year. Not, he wasn't in consideration to be the top high school pitcher in this class, but he was definitely in that second group of guys who are pretty intriguing. And then we want, if we're going to talk about hard throwing power, arms from Dallas Baptist, Chance Adams checks off that board. He's a little bit um, less physical than some of the other guys they had. But if you want to talk about pure performance, he was probably the second best performer on that Dallas Baptist you know, release staff. I'm still going to go Brendan Cohn, their, uh, Brandon Kahn, their, uh, their closer, as the best of that group. But Adams is an interesting guy that way. Um, Brendan Wagner was the best JUCO in Texas this year, I do believe. Um, that was you know, one of my areas. And then Josh Rogers in the 11th round, uh, sophomore eligible lefty from Louisville, who you take him in the 11th round because he's sophomore eligible, so it's a little higher risk on, on being able to sign him. But that's a pretty useful arm if they can land him. Uh, Colton Mahoney in the 16th round is pretty intriguing again as well.
2: Oldest player with college eligibility remaining on the BA 500. Cut top, top Michael Freeman on that? Uh, no, he has no eligibility remaining. Oh, Paul yes. Mahoney can go back yes. to school. Sorry, Michael Freeman
0: was the oldest guy. Period. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, Isaiah Gilliam in the twentieth uh, round. Uh, again, I don't know if we still maybe we may be talking about Isaiah Gilliam. I feel like for years because he's in junior ranks. So
2: uh, he. Um, that's a guy that uh, made some noise last year when he reclassified. Uh, was he,
0: at the NHSI Where everyone got
2: to see him and uh, Mac Marshall's teammate, uh, which helped. Um, you know He's a, a big first baseman slash outfielder type. Uh, a lot of power that he's still starting to unlock. Uh, I would have expected him to go before the 20th round this year, but I would have expected him to go before he went last year. He wound up at Chipola. He might be back at Chipola next year. That'll, that'll be an interesting one to watch. And we
0: have to mention that in the 34th round, the uh, Yankees select uh, left-hander Andrew Miller. So I don't think we'll ever have to really worry for a long time about this being confusing, but that could get really confusing. Up in the pen is left-hander Andrew Miller. Hopefully
2: he just goes to school.
0: He Also, I don't think he is nearly as tall as the uh, current Yankees Andrew Miller, so there's probably not as much confusion there. So that that takes us through that, so we move on to the A's.
2: The A's on day one of the draft grabbed two of the SEC shortstops, and it was obviously a very good year for, for SEC shortstops, They take Richie Martin out of Florida and Mikey White out of Alabama. Uh, Richie Martin is more likely to stay at shortstop. Mikey White maybe is a second baseman long-term. But the fact that the two of them are together will cause, uh, I I don't know what the A's plans are, but if they both end up in short season, that will be a fascinating place to watch a baseball game. Well, hey, the
0: A's are quite happy to push guys fast.
2: Also, they love positional versatility, and those uh, guys—they might play second base, they might play third base. Daniel Robertson, I mean, Richie Martin might play center field for them. Do
0: remember, do remember. I mean, they had Asen Russell and Daniel Robertson at the same time, and it was like, okay, so I guess you're a second baseman primarily now. And then they traded out some Russell, and all of a sudden, Daniel Robinson. Hey, you know, see this other side? You get to play here more. So they work. You know, they they do like that. They love that. I mean, kind
2: of they do that for everyone. And you know, whether whether you really can do it or not, they just want you to be able to play more positions because they feel that that's valuable to to teach you in the minor leagues, so that then when you come up to the big leagues, they can just put you wherever wherever they need you.
0: Uh, Dakota Chalmers, they take in the third round, is a a, a pretty high ceiling. Uh, High school pitcher from Georgia. He
2: uh, doesn't really control the ball right now. Uh, there's some effort in his delivery, but he also just is really skinny. And there are some people that think that just when he's able to uh, to put some weight on his frame, he's 6'3", 170. And uh, when he fills that out a little bit better, uh, it might come easier because he won't have to reach back as hard for, for the velocity. But he throws really hard.
0: And then Skybolt, who we've seen a whole lot of here because he's at North Carolina, but Sky Bolt is a very interesting pick at four. Not I don't mean interesting in a pejorative way. I mean interesting because if you saw if Skybolt, again, if, if if the draft was held, if freshmen were eligible, after his freshman year, Skybolt would have gone really, really well.
2: The tools are there.
0: And he produced as a freshman, and then he has struggled to match that since.
2: Yeah. I- At the very least, though, what the A's get there is a really good defensive center fielder, and that has value on its own. And then if he is able to figure out hitting, which has been the problem, he has the power, he has the speed, he has the defense, if he's able to figure out the bat, then you get something more. But minimally, you're getting a good defensive center fielder, and uh, there's, there's a lot of value in that.
0: And then Kevin Duchesne, do they take in the fifth round? Was one of the best college pitchers in baseball this year. I mean, I don't think there's any question on that. He's really knows how to pitch. Um, and but the stuff is, you know, this stuff is fine. It's not when yeah. we talk about the demographic of college pitchers who really know how to pitch. Kevin shane has to be near the top of that as far as the knowing how to pitch part.
2: Yeah, I mean, he he's going to have to be fine with his control. You know, all through the minors, uh, he's going to have to just keep proving it. But he's done it at Illinois, and that's the guy that kept. Tyler J out of the rotation this year, really. I mean, that. that's why that the because they had Duchesne on Friday nights, that's why Illinois felt comfortable uh, leaving Tyler J in, in the closer role.
0: Right. What it allowed them to do is, is Tyler J was kind of the they could use him very extensively yeah, in the he, other He, games he was a the bullpen weekend. ace, is probably the the role moment of truth filled, guy. Yes.
2: Well, but and then he would go multiple innings. Right. Sometimes. So what I'm saying
0: is basically, let's say here, Friday's Duchesne's. Saturday, Sunday, we'll kind of rely on Jay in many ways. Um, So they they have that. Anyone else before I get – got a lot of guys I want to talk about after the 10th round. Anyone else in that? uh, I think
2: those are the big guys in the first 10.
0: To me then, again, after that, a couple of guys who have some significant power, but that may be all they really have, jump out to me. Their 12th rounder, Chris Eriart uh, from Houston, has big-time power. The question is, is he's a first baseman the bat maybe a little slow? We've heard that about some other guys for the you know I, who for uh, the A's may sometimes have had success with that. Uh, Ryan Howe, who's listed as a second baseman, and he's not really a second baseman. That's where he played at Nevada. But again, big time power for a guy from kind of a small package. We'll see where he ends up playing, but he's interesting from that standpoint. He did very much produce at uh, especially early in the year this year at uh, at the college ranks. Anyone else that jumps out um, to you on that? Brett Siddall is a pretty inter- interesting guy out there from Canisius. They got in the 13th round.
2: Well, their 37th uh, pick, Andy Cox, out of Tennessee. That's a two-way guy. They drafted him as a pitcher. Um, you know, that, so that's interesting. And uh, Or no. Am I thinking of somebody else? I might be thinking of somebody else. Chris Cullen, their 38th rounder, uh, is a very good defensive catcher. He's a little bit bigger, and that leads to Grayson, Grimer, Grayson Griner comps. Uh, but... Uh, we'll see what he's able to do. He's probably headed to, to South Carolina.
0: It is hard to keep all the names. Uh, we apologize if we screw up anything here. We're doing this off. We don't have notes in front. Yeah, us. We're Andy doing Cox
2: this. is not who I was thinking of. Andrew Lee is the two-way guy out of Tennessee. Right. Andy Cox is an interesting left-handed reliever, uh, who or he might not have relieved. He is an interesting left-hander out of Tennessee. Much in the uh, and I had him on the Tennessee list uh, with Drake O B. Another lefty,
0: right? We're doing this just completely off the top of our heads, and we really want to be able to use this this information one more time before we move on <laughs> to other things, because we spent a lot of time trying to put this information in our heads. So that moves us on to the Phillies uh, with our uh, the next team we're going to look at. Courtney, we both love, I think we both love their first two picks: Cornelius Randolph and Scott Gingrich.
2: I mean, I said in the the podcast we did on Monday before the first round started that that I felt like Cornelius Randolph was being overlooked a little bit out of. <laughs> from the crowded Georgia ranks uh he's we had him as the best hitter uh, in the high school you know best high school hitter in the draft and the Phillies got that guy at 10th overall and no he By doesn't he way, does not have a defensive power and home. they
0: listed him as shortstop here the funny thing is, is the the Phillies then, they announced him that way but the Phillies then said no he's going to play left field
2: well i think on the first day of the draft when they don't have the conference call to do it. I, I feel like sometimes those get a little screwier, right? They,
0: they but I, and I like the idea of just putting Corduna's Brandon in left field. He'll be a great. He should be a very good left
2: fielder. And well, he'll be fine. He'll be fine there. You don't have to be very whatever. It's left field, and that. A right, lot I'm of, saying
0: he has enough athleticism. He should be able uh, to yes. left field with no problem. Uh, you've, yes, you put him in a position to succeed, not one where the the bat is going to be so far ahead of the glove.
2: And uh, you know, the there were a lot of scouts that just felt like that was the the. The way that they would go, that some of them would would have tried him at third base, where he you know he could have developed okay. Uh, you know he has pretty decent hands, uh, but the if you just put him in left field, just tell him to hit. That's what he's going to do, and uh, he knows how to hit, and he hits for power. And the Phillies, uh, that's a, that's a great pick at ten. I feel like,
0: and then the uh, Kingery pick in the second round, I, I love as well. Uh, one of the best hitters in college baseball this year on a productive you know from a production standpoint really he's a second baseman that you know he's a little work defensively still and all but it seems like it should be fine to stay there at second base and has kind of the has that mentality we talk about it a lot but he seems to get every bit out of what he has and he has legit tools this is not a guy who has no tools this is a guy who has tools and then gets a lot out of them which
2: I yeah. think he gets uh, penalized a little bit because he's a second baseman, but uh, you know he he might wind up you know playing another position and he'd be you know he, he could go to the outfield uh, but he just hits and it's a little bit like Randolph you know they, they just got two really good hitters and that's that is you know Scouts will tell you that's the most important tool. Well they got two of the best hitters in the draft, I feel like
0: that's that's not a bad way to start. Um, after that, uh...
2: taking a page out of the Cubs book really.
0: Yeah, I mean that's taking a page out of the Cubs book, absolutely. And- if, the,
2: if those had been the two Cubs picks, uh, the first two Cubs picks uh, on day one, I would not have been the least bit surprised. No. And so the Phillies doing that, um, you know, maybe that's the direction they're go- they're trending towards.
0: Um, Mark Laird, their ninth rounder, guy stands out to me. Again, when we talked about the LSU had three center fielders in their lineup. Mark Laird was one of those center fielders who wasn't playing center field there, but probably plays center field in pro ball. With that, you know, has some athleticism. Um, he's an interesting guy to me. Uh, a, a couple of guys they have a little further down. Kenny Koplov is a uh, reliever from from Duke, seventeenth rounder. Who, you know, he's a seventeenth rounder and he fits, you know, in some ways there, but he, he should move pretty quickly, I think. Um, uh, Anthony Sakera, their twenty third round pick, is that kind of. Yeah, I know we've said this before, but he's that college pitcher who has a pretty good feel for pitching with okay stuff. Those kind of guys, some of them end up turning up into being better than you expect. You know, Maybe he ends up being one of those guys. Anyone else who really jumps out from this list for you?
2: I'll just note that Andrew Amaro, uh, the nephew, uh, is the nephew of GM um, Ruben, Ruben Amaro. Amaro Jr. And he helped Tampa win the Division Two College World Series this year. Um, you know, So that, that, that's an interesting pick. Um, we got to see him play in the College World Series here, which is uh, over in the USA Baseball Complex in Cary. The 29th pick, uh, 29th round pick, Von Watson, uh, has a lot of power, still raw from uh, the prep ranks in Tennessee. Um, he might be headed to Lipscomb, but uh, that's, an, that's an interesting guy uh, that they took on day three. Which
0: moves us on to the Pirates, who took shortstop Kevin Newman in the first round and then third baseman Cabrian Hayes in the uh, with their second first round pick, the 32nd pick. A pair of guys who uh, may be among the better defenders at their positions for their groups. N- Newman is one of the, was one of the better defenders on the shortstop ranks at the college level. And Cabrian Hayes, who were their big questions before, but talked to more and more guys who seemed to really like him at third base, especially once he got... His body in kind of better shape, uh, you know, for his senior season.
2: Yeah, there were a lot of a lot of people that thought Cabrian, who is the son of a big leaguer, um, Charmage, Hayes. uh that that he might move to to first base ultimately. But yeah, it, it seems like this spring, more people believe in him as a third baseman. And Kevin Newman, yeah, I mean, you can talk about his defense and it's fine, but really stands out with Kevin Newman is he does not just strike out the the feel for hitting and like the, the barrel control and everything. He's the first player to win back-to-back Cape League batting titles. And he did not have an exceptional year uh, for Arizona this year, particularly in Pac-12 play. But the track record on Cape with wood bats uh, is impressive.
0: Right. If there are questions with him, he does not drive the ball.
2: There is no power.
0: And so when you talk about, I mean, really it comes down to, okay, he is going to put the ball in play. We do know that. But he does not drive the ball, so then it becomes, okay, so how much of an offensive plus can he be? It's gonna be a batting average derived value. He's a guy like to give to give an example of a pro guy, they're very different players. But Jose Altuve is an extremely valuable player when Jose Altuve hits for high average. If Jose Altuve doesn't hit for high average, all a lot of his offensive value all of a sudden disappears because that's what it's all based off of. That's what we're talking about with Kevin Newman.
2: And, and you, if you were watching the draft on Monday night, you you would have heard Peter Gammons talking about Kevin Newman, and, and he talked about how some scouts feel like if Newman changes his approach a little bit, uh, you know, Arizona has has a very you know they, they at Arizona uh, because they play in high corbit field, they really just want to put the ball in play, take advantage of their field, and you know put the ball in the field, put it in the gaps, and just run around the bases. And uh, so there are some scouts, like Peter was saying on Monday night, that you know, if Newman changes that approach a little bit, uh, adjusts his stance slightly, there, there are some scouts that feel like there is power in there uh, that could be unlocked as a pro. We'll have to see if uh, he does that or if they even want him to I do that. I was going to say
0: that's one of the things that, to put it in a similar way is that we've heard many times about a Stanford hitter to like, okay, you know, he's going to change his approach. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, That's, that's a lot of muscle memory to fight through if you're going to change that, but sometimes it does work um after that uh who stands out to you if you look at these top 10 rounds well
2: jacob taylor there in the fourth round from the mississippi junior college ranks uh he probably was just the best pitcher in uh alabama and mississippi this year uh or had the best stuff anyway Uh, he thought it was really hard he's still learning how to pitch he went to juco as a two-way guy but has given that up and is purely a pitcher now and he would be headed to lsu if he doesn't sign but Uh, taken
0: again in the top 10 rounds we expect they probably will
2: right and the pirates do a good job of developing pitching as we have seen so that's uh that's a guy to watch uh potentially uh from that that group as is uh casey houston or houston uh sorry pick before uh sophomore eligible outfielder from alabama they announced him as a, a left fielder i believe and uh he has good speed and maybe could play center field, but uh, he's, he's a little rough route route wise. But you know he hits, and he hits for power, and uh, he he could fit that left field profile just fine if that is where he ultimately ends up.
0: A couple of later round picks that, that jump out to me: Logan that they took in the 13th round, kind of fits that very good senior sign, like almost maybe too good to go in the top ten rounds because. Maybe he gets a little bit more money than that. Uh, very productive year at NC State, middle infielder who was their second baseman and then ended up kind of resting away their shortstop job. I don't know if he really probably ends up moving back over to second base uh, as a pro. They announced him as
2: a shortstop.
0: Right. Well, so we'll see. We'll see. But developing power there, a little bit of thump to go in the bat. Um, so, you know, a little bit of physicality. They're
2: another team that will be interesting to look at their short season team and how they handle all these shortstops. Because in addition to him, they take Newman and Kevin Kramer out of UCLA. They, those are all shortstops yeah, from college or, that could very reasonably all go to the New York Penn League uh, after or, they sign. Or,
0: but again, or you may end up just sending one straight to uh, West Virginia. To West Virginia. Say, Virginia. Newman? Newman, that, that could be two. Newman, yeah. You know, um, but, uh, and then... Uh, uh, also with that, Nick Hibbing, uh, their 16th rounder out of Iowa. You may have recognized Nick Hibbing really, it's <laughs> a good news, bad news story. Nick Hibbing really stepped up for Iowa in the regionals and pitched a perfect three innings of relief in one game. And then they needed a guy the same day a little later on. So he comes in after their starter basically uh, throws the ball all over the place in the first inning. So he comes in and then throws five and two thirds Hitless in the next game, so he has eight and two thirds of a no-hitter on one day, um, but also uh, you know had to leave the game after giving up his first hit. He had a little twinge at least. Uh, it's a lot of pitching to do in one day, but he was kind of notable from that. John Borman uh, is a guy, the 24th round of catcher, who is kind of interesting, good defensively. Uh, I kind of like him a little bit. Um, Cole Irvin's a notable name, the 32nd rounder out of uh, Oregon. Uh, those are kind of the guys who, who jump out to me. Anyone else for you? Yeah,
2: I mean, with Irvin, he's probably going to go back to Oregon. Yeah. He uh, missed his freshman year with, with TJ, uh, and he's uh, he was back on the mound this year, but didn't quite look um, – he, he, missed, he missed 2014 with Tommy John. Yeah. He, he was back on the mound this year, and, uh, you know, he, he got – he pitched okay. Uh, it, it showed signs he was coming back, but – He's a guy There's that... There's a reason to go back for him. Right. And and if he goes back, and he very much could be, you know, uh, could jump way higher uh, if he's able to recover as he gets even further away from his surgery.
0: On to the Padres, which are a team that did not... The Padres did not have a first-round pick, but they did get some interesting players.
2: Yeah, so they uh, take Austin Smith and Jacob Nix there with their, their first two picks, and those are... Uh, Two pitchers uh, out of Florida that, that have, a, have both very good. Uh, Smith is uh, showed good control last year when he was pitching for Team USA, and uh, he, he pitched really well this spring for, for his high school team, getting them uh, to the state final four. Uh, Jacob Nix, uh, you might remember from the Brady Aiken mess last year. Uh, well, so he, he went. You th- the
0: collateral damage. Yes, I mean he really was. Like, Matt Marshall almost signed out of this and all that, but Matt Marshall had already been planning to go to school. Right. Jacob Nix signed. It was he, like, he here a, you go.
2: He, he had an agreement. Yes. That's uh, yes, right. He had an agreement. Uh, Past his
0: physical, everything. And, and he got him.
2: money because of that, because there was a grievance filed after the fact, and uh, we don't know what the terms of the settlement of the grievance were, but we do know that something got worked out there um, as a result of that. But anyway, this spring... He goes and plays for IMG Academy's post grad team because he probably doesn't have college eligibility after that grievance. Uh, uh, see, I,
0: I do really wish that he had, like, you know, like one of these days I am hoping that someone blows up this NCAA thing, you know, again, which we've already seen it blown up well. Once. I don't know. I mean, like, they, they, they're, on, already, yeah.
2: they're already ignoring the, the ruling that um, I'm not blanking on the Northeast Ohio native name, oh, Andy Oliver. They, they're already they're oh, ignoring right. the Andy Oliver Because ruling. they
0: paid him off. So I'm saying, like, some, some player could do this at some point, and yes, it'll take some time, but either they're going to eventually knuckle under or they're probably going to end up paying you off, one way or the other, because we've already seen precedent. They lost the case. It went to appeal, and they went, you know what, to make this go away and so that we can continue doing what is an idiotic rule, we'll just pay, we'll settle with you so that we can go back to forcing... You to not have adequate legal representation, which is exactly what the court said. You know what? You are allowed to have legal representation. End of
2: rant two. So you- Jacob Nix uh, last year, uh, you know, it, when he was a high school senior, uh, he didn't quite have the spring scouts were hoping he would have, and so he slid a little bit in the draft. Uh, and they, they were gonna. It seemed like teams were largely gonna be content with letting him work some things out at UCLA until the Astros popped him. I guess it was in the fifth round. Um, well, so Nick's got a year to work some of those things out, and and he started to. He's he's uh, he's really worked on some of the things that that, that scouts uh, were, were hoping he would he would be able to improve on, and uh, he did that at IMG this year. And the so the the Padres get him in the third round, and then they take Austin Allen in the fourth round. Who is a Division Two catcher? As he
0: said, one of the best catchers, college catchers in this class. Yeah,
2: and he has—he's uh, got really impressive power. He's bigger, so there's some question about if he stays behind the plate or not. Uh, but you know, even if he—even uh, if he moves to first base, if he hits with that power, it's not going to matter.
0: Right. Okay. I'm sorry. My rant's not over. So I want to point <laughs> out one more stupid inconsistency of this. Josh Hoffpower. power. Zach our Zach House, the Stanford uh, two-way player. He's a football player and a baseball player. He was drafted by the Diamondbacks this year. He can sign a pro contract. He can have legal representation on that. He could actually, if he wanted to, I'm not saying he's going to, I'm saying in the hypothetical, he could have an agent, if he wanted to, who works out that deal for him, where he becomes a pro baseball player. And by doing that, that will not taint him from being able to play college football. But if he's only a baseball player and he enters in negotiations you know, with an agent and then ends up not signing, then he could be declared ineligible in baseball because that makes no sense at all. Now I'm moving on. I'm sorry. Josh McGee, their fifth-round pick, I really like. I really like this guy. Uh, high school outfielder with some feel for hit and athleticism out of Louisiana. That's often high school ranks in Louisiana is kind of a – an interesting demographic a lot of times, but this is a guy who really has a very good starter set to be a very well-rounded player. Um, I just think if, again, and take him fifth round, I think he probably signed. I think there's definitely something there, a very intriguing player. I'll be very interested to see how he goes, especially over the next several years. Um, moving on in there, uh, does anyone else jump out in the top 10 rounds for you, Teddy?
2: Um. Jordan Guerrero has a lot of arm strength out a Polk Junior College.
0: And then moving on to after the uh, top ten rounds, uh, not a whole lot of guys who are kind of the backup plan guys here.
2: Well, they don't have money for right. a backup they plan. They don't have. So they don't need a backup plan because they don't without have first without, round without pick. having a first round pick, you lose there's,
0: that. Yeah, there's no real need for a backup plan. So really, a pretty straightforward eleventh uh, round. On not a whole lot of names who really jump out to me, to be honest with you.
2: Uh, Chris Chatfield. Um, is a guy that uh, in Florida, um, you know, he, he looks the part, he very much looks the part, but scouts are a little divided on whether he'll hit or not. Uh, so I guess they will probably watch him do it in college and then make an assessment again in, in a few years' time.
0: So then we move on to the Giants. The Giants picked up a trio of very productive players. They had two first round picks, but they picked up a trio of very productive players with their first three picks.
2: Yeah, their their first day was good. Phil Bickford, Chris Shaw, Andrew Suarez, but like I just gotta say I love day two for the Giants. I it was just that that is well, that is what I was Mac most Marshall. impressed with.
0: That was going to check one part. Uh,
2: Jalen Miller, Mac Marshall, Ronnie Chabavy, Stephen Duggar, Jose Vizcaino. Like those are those are the first I'll picks of Taylor's. Yeah, they're, they're, their next one, and even David Graybill has good stuff at Arizona State. He wasn't able to get on the mound much. You know, we talked about this with with Florida and Eric Hanhold, but Graybill is a reliever only, and and still wasn't able to get on the mound much. And then Tyler Sire, uh, Sir uh, at Embry Riddle is their tenth rounder. And uh, I'll admit, I didn't have his name before the draft, but uh, in doing my research since then, uh, you know, there's there's something there, potentially. I mean, certainly more than, than your average 10th round money saver. So I, just the whole day, I felt like the Giants did very well.
0: CJ Hanosa, who they took in the 11th round, is one of those guys who's very famous, had a pretty awful year. I mean, there's no other way to put it. But again, if the draft had been held... Last year or the year before, he would have gone much better than this. Now, sometimes that downward momentum never gets arrested, uh, but sometimes it does. There could be more there than a normal guy you get in the 11th round. Um, that's, That's a name that definitely jumps out to me. And he was
2: pretty decent on the Cape last summer yeah. too.
0: Dave Owen, who is their uh, 19th round pick,
2: not the Tigers, uh, not exec. the Tigers,
0: really knows how to pitch. <laughs> I almost made a case for him in the 500. Then I was looking and I was like, no, he's not a 500 guy. But but he's kind of you know definitely interesting. Um, again, I, I also agree that that, that was a there's a lot of guys to like in this draft.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think this is uh, you know I, I don't know if it'll be as flashy as some of the other drafts that that. You know, we we've talked about, but there's just an awful lot to like in this draft, and, and um, you know, I, I was I was pretty impressed that the the Giants were able to put put all of that together,
0: which makes us move on to the Mariners. What do you see on this Mariners
2: draft? So the Mariners also didn't have a first rounder, and they wind up not picking up until yeah. 60,
0: which does make it hard. I, I I mean, from a it's like I don't. It's not that I don't love or or hate this draft. It's not as impact a draft if you don't pick till sixty. You don't right, have the just money. It's hard, and you, you uh, don't have the money.
2: So they take Nick Neidert with their first pick, and uh, you know we talked about Dakota Chalmers with the A's, and in, in Georgia there were there were three arms that kind of stood out: Nick Nydert, Chalmers, and Tristan English. And we had Niedert ranked second in that group, and he's a little bit smaller uh, than than Chalmers and English, uh, but he throws really hard. Uh, there's still some projection there. And, uh, you know, so that, that'll be – it. that's an interesting upside pick. And when you're picking at 60 and, and you don't have a first-round pick, I, I feel like you can uh, – you, know, you, you, it seems like teams try and find guys that they feel like, well, maybe could have been first-rounders that, that for one reason or another aren't first-rounders, uh, you know, like the Mets with Desmond Lindsay. Uh, so it, it, that's an interesting pick for them. And then Andrew Moore staying – they stay in the Pacific Northwest, uh, get him from – Oregon State. We very talked to, talked about Eshelman. Andrew Moore is a, a very similar kind of player, not the insanely good command, uh, but he, um, you know, j- just uh, a pitchability right hander that that's had a lot of success. And he's a little bit shorter too. So, uh,
0: but you, you hit on a theme that they had here, especially when we got into the later rounds for them. Much like the Braves like to draft guys from Georgia, which if you're in Georgia, you better like to draft guys from Georgia because <laughs> there are a ton of guys. What's fascinating is is that the, the the Mariners really like drafting guys from Washington. I
2: mean, they drafted. I took Brian Bishop with their third round pick, right. and, and then went back there on day three. And
0: then, like again, Parker McFadden. I don't know if you can really have a fallback plan when you don't have their pick till pick sixty. But Parker McFadden, you know, who probably will not sign with them. But Parker McFadden was a, uh, a probably the best, probably the best you know high school prospect in you know in in the uh, state of Washington overall, better than Bishop probably. Um, we had him retire, but he's an interesting guy there. But they took, in in a five-round span, they took four guys from Washington. And I would say there probably were not ten other guys taken from Washington. They probably took at least a third of all the guys who were taken from Washington this year, which uh, that, found, I, that jumped out as interesting to me. But again, it is a little harder to, uh, to have a whole lot of impact when you don't pick until later. Logan Taylor, their 12th-round pick, they announced him as a third baseman. That was interesting to me because... Logan Taylor had been a shortstop at Texas A&M, everyday shortstop. Moved this year to the outfield. The bat really took off. Maybe that was the new balls. Maybe that was because he wasn't having to play shortstop anymore. He was really a little bit over his head there. They're going to move him back into the dirt. And third base is really the only position he fits in the dirt. He can't play second because he can't really handle the throw. At least so far, he's not been able to do the throw from second. He doesn't have the range for short. Third base, though, maybe he can do. And if he does that could be a better-than-normal uh, late-round pick. So that's the guy, to me, that jumps out. Anyone else for you? Or Well,
2: I mentioned Drew Jackson, their fifth-round pick, uh, might have the best arm in the draft. He's a shortstop, uh, and that is uh, Brett Jackson's younger brother, former uh, Cubs prospect.
0: Okay, so that moves us on to the Cardinals, who took their first pick, Nick Plummer. The 23rd pick was Nick Plummer, and I kind of like that because... Again, if you are taking those high school outfielders, you could make arguments for a whole lot of guys on that group as the best high school outfielder. Plummer falls for some logical reasons, but they aren't really anything to do necessarily a whole lot with the talent.
2: I think the Cardinals just did a great job. Period in this draft, surprising, of course, I know. Uh, but yeah, so Plummer, um, you know, in Michigan they play weird high school baseball rules in that everyone starts with a one-one count. And I have no idea why they do that, but that makes a value first of all, like who wants to go to Michigan to watch a high school kid face you know not great competition to begin with? And, and know then that you're, you're gonna see less links. Yeah, then you're playing with these weird rules. And so that makes it hard that made it harder for him to get evaluated the spring. Fortunately for Nick Plummer, he had an outstanding showcase circuit last summer. Uh, and so that, that's largely what got drafted. He really was almost frozen
0: in, cryptin, you know, in carbonite, basically, coming out of last summer. It was really what this spring couldn't do a whole lot to improve him. Right. He could, he could fall apart, which he didn't do, but there was not much that was going to push him up further because there was going to, again, there was going to be a short season and the reality is is he wasn't going to face the competition to really move himself up much.
2: And then they take Jake Woodford in the second round. And we talked about Kyle Tucker to the Astros. Well, Woodford is his high school teammate at Plant High School uh, there in Tampa. And uh, Woodford fits right in that mix of Florida high school pitchers. Um, And I think he might have been the first one that went. Uh, And and so he, you know, he, they're different teams, like different Florida high school arms. But Woodford is, is one of the better ones, certainly. And then Bryce Denton. Uh, Tennessee really knows how to hit. They have him as a third baseman. We'll see. Uh, he might end up in the outfield. But, again, that's a, that's a high school kid that knows how to hit. And, um, you know, the, like we've been saying, scouts feel like that's the most important tool. And if you can hit, they'll find a spot for you.
0: And then Paul DeJong, uh, who they drive in the fourth round uh, out of Illinois State. Paul DeJong had a monster year. Monster year at a uh, smaller school the question a lot of it was with him is defensively if and his medical he, and his medical, the medical he, he could, if it wasn't for the medical, he might be able to catch, but probably because of the, the uh, injuries he's had really kind of rules catching out. Uh, you hope he can stay a second, but yeah, but he,
2: we talk about positional versatility with the A's. The Cardinals are all about that too. Mm-hmm. And
0: he's a guy who has some positional versatility. Really the question is, is how high up the stand, the scale, defensive scale. Can he stay? Um, then you go beyond that. Uh, Kept Brown in the tenth round. Yeah,
2: talking about medicals. So Kept Brown, uh, you know, we have him at eighty nine on the BA five hundred, and uh, he might have been even higher than that if he'd stayed healthy this spring. But he uh, ruptured his Achilles, and uh, you know that knocked him out um, for the the final few months. So. We were not expecting to see Kep Brown get called in the 10th round. You take him there, it feels like they might be signing him. He's committed to Miami, so that will be that is probably the most interesting 10th rounder of the draft. There weren't
0: many interesting
2: 10th rounders. There were a lot more interesting 11th rounders than He 10. honestly is more interesting than any of the 11th rounders, because I expect the 11th rounders and the 12th rounders even basically to sign. Like I, I don't know what the data on that is, but I think that most 11th rounders sign because you have the night to figure out... Who, who will and who won't. But, you know, Kepp Brown is one of the, that, that is one of the most interesting things to watch over the next month um, until signing deadline.
0: Later round guys, Chris Janea, their uh, their 17th rounder out of LSU, they list him as a catcher. That's key. He played first base at LSU this year. He was, he used to be playing some catcher, Kate Savick, and then some freshmen that they brought in at LSU kind of pushed him out of that. He's not a great catcher from anything I've under, from any report I got. But he really hit this year. If he can hit like that and go back to catcher, you might have something pretty interesting there. Um, uh, and then they took a lot of guys. This is not the Brew- this is not the Brewers draft, but it's not far off as far as taking guys who you're probably not going to sign, but who they took. Caden Greiner, probably going to go to school. Gio Brusa from Pacific who probably, has said he's going back to school. Yeah, has already said he's going back, and you expect it. Kyle Molnar. Uh, Matt Vierling, I, Mitchell Traver, their 28th rounder. Mitchell Traver is a top 10 round pick by far. No, no question. But he's probably going back to school with this. You know, we're going where he did. You look at it. I don't expect them to get any of those guys. If they again, if they get any one of those, it's a coup.
2: Yeah, and the thing about Gio Brusa is he's been hurt uh, pretty much all spring. Had a great cape, uh, you know. So he. Uh, you know we, we don't talk about college guys, you know top college guys going back all that often, but that's a guy you know, even though that he'll, he'll be a senior next year, he won't have eligibility remaining, but he had potential. He, he entered the year potentially as a first rounder and if he's able to regain that, it won't matter that he's a senior.
0: Right. Really, what it comes down to him for him is, is he's got to be healthy and he's got to show there are a lot of questions about his hit tool. And there is some risk for him. I expect him to go back. There is some risk. If he doesn't hit next year, then he, for all the tools he has, there's going to be this long track record of concern. Whereas, you know, it's really kind of, he's gambling on himself. Because you would expect he goes back, he expects he's going to have a much better year. Right. But, he, but he needs to do that, and he's struggled to do that. He's done that in summer, but he's really struggled to do that in, in the spring, for really for much of his career. Um, Joey Hawkins, their 40th round pick, is a better 40 round pick than normal org player utility guy, but I like him as an org player utility guy. That's random. You don't normally talk about 40th round picks, <laughs> but I like him uh, from Missouri State. So that moves. That's us, what
2: you get here at Baseball America. You know,
0: I mean, we have 40th round picks. That JJ really will like. be
2: writing about that guy in Indie Report or something. Hey, hey, hey! He's going
0: to sign and he's going to be useful. <laughs> I look forward to seeing the spring training. Going, I liked you coming into the draft. Um, so you know, uh, I enjoyed that Missouri State team. So that takes us through uh, to the uh, Rays now.
2: Well, the Rays uh, got them started off on Monday with Garrett Whitley, who uh, fit into that top group of high school outfielders. And then they take Chris Betts, who entered the year as the That's top high school pick. catcher. Yeah, at 52, that is. That absolutely is. <laughs> he falls partly because he was hurt some this year. but Some questions about whether he stays behind the plate. And but there's legit
0: questions. I, I, I happen to see, I'm sorry to say for Chris Betts' sake, I saw the worst game I think that Chris Betts has ever had. <laughs> I saw a game where uh, last year uh, at, a, I guess it would have been Tournament of Stars, where Chris Betts just could not catch that day. I don't know what happened. It was, but, and I told you know, some of our guys you know, in the office, and they're like, no, he's not normally like that. You know, that's not normally. But there are some questions about where going to catch, but I feel bad because I really, my mind is always stuck on Chris Betts is Chris Betts running to the backstop over and over.
2: Well, he got passed this year by Tyler Stevenson in the high school catching ranks, but uh, you know, the the Rays are one of the teams that is not afraid of high school catching. You know, we've seen them draft it repeatedly over the years. Sometimes it works out, sometimes yeah, it doesn't. I mean, we'll we'll see what they do with it, but you know, they are they are a team that is not afraid of it. Uh, you know, despite the inherent risks of high school catching. And then uh, Brandon Lau from Maryland, second baseman, great hit tool. Brandon Koch.
0: I, I love where, where Brandon Koch went at 118 I know there are concerns Brandon Koch threw a gazillion sliders this year I think that's the scientific term for it I, <laughs> I think you know but he really did I get that he did you, you may have concerns because that is, he's not a big guy and there's some wear there that being said Brandon Koch throws a really really good slider and he has a fastball to go with it he even has a little bit of a change-up. He's not a starter in any way, shape, or form. But he is a reliever who could move very quickly. Yes. Is there durability concerns there? Absolutely. But track record of success. And he has two pitches that you just plug him in and go and watch him climb the ladder.
2: Joe McCarthy, their fifth rounder, entered the Could've year... Could got a whole
0: lot higher than that. Uh,
2: he entered the year as a potential first rounder. Uh, and then he had back surgery. And that kept him out for the first few months of the season... Uh, he got back on the field. You know, he'll be playing in Omaha this weekend, or whenever Virginia starts. Um, and uh, you know, if, if he's healthy and, and productive, uh, you know that, that's a that's a good player. Uh, you know, so it, it, with him, it's really just a matter of, uh, of getting healthy, I, I, I guess.
0: Uh, Ian Gubo, their eleventh uh, rounder out of Tulane, hard throwing reliever whose slider comes and goes. If it comes and sticks around. He could be a better-than-average 11th rounder. Joe Davis, their 16th rounder. Got to expect at that point he's going to school, but Joe Davis is got, uh, you know, he, the body's not good. The hit and the power really is. They list him as a catcher. Again, I think he's going to school. I don't think he'll be a catcher long-term, but he really can hit. Um, Bob Horner body comps. This is something that, you know, you heard on a pretty regular basis with him. Uh, so I, I kind of find him interesting. I told you, Joey Bart, eight oh eight. It was. They went back to back picks. That, I that, is, that
2: is Jake Hagan Botham's catcher, and that, they uh, they won a state title there, uh, Buford in Georgia.
0: Anyone else that jumps out to you from, from that group?
2: Uh, in the where was the, in the ninth round, they took Danny De La Calle. Uh, Florida State's catcher, uh, good catch-and-throw guy, and he is bilingual, which uh, is always useful there uh, for a catcher.
0: Oh, one other, Jacob Cronworth, who I've heard differing opinions on what he's going to play for them.
2: That's a two-way guy from Michigan.
0: Right. He played, he's a predominantly their closer first baseman. He did play some second.
2: Which is what the Rays announced him and as. That's what
0: they announced him as. So I'll be interested to see if that is uh, where he ends up. I did not hear a whole lot of guys expecting to see him be a position player coming out of the draft. No,
2: it. it definitely seemed like he was, so was going to be a closer, yeah,
0: the reliever. So yeah. we'll see how that how that plays out. Again, you can always send out a guy as a hitter. You're not losing much development time if you say later on, you know what, we're going to put you back on the mound. Much more that way than if you send him out as a pitcher. It's a lot harder then later to say, hey, do you want to spin the bat,
2: especially if you're just going to be a
0: reliever anyway. Exactly. So uh, so that moves us on to the Rangers
2: who took Dylan Tate with their first pick. Well, this was uh, a very Rangers draft. Uh, there's a lot of upside here, uh, a lot of risk, and we'll see how it all works out. a lot out. of injury. Yes, uh, and that, that, is that, where the, risk. that is where the risk comes from, really. Uh, Dylan Tate is not one of those injuries, but they then took uh, Michael Matuella, who entered the year as the top college pitcher. They took Jake Lemoyne, who was, uh, again, a potential first-rounder. And they take Tyler Ferguson, who is not injured, but cannot—you know—he just has not been able to throw the ball over the plate this year uh, for Vanderbilt, but has first-round stuff. If you can f- get him to figure out how to find the—you know—where the plate is again.
0: Yeah, uh, Machuela is a guy. Obviously, at 78, you could be getting a whole lot better player than the 78 best player.
2: I, Medicals are an awful... I, there's, there's the Tommy John and there's the back issue. Right.
0: He has a back issue. Again, what we don't... We'll just be honest with saying, we don't know. We've heard differing reports on things, but the best way to put it is, is we don't know. I will say this. Anyone who tells you that anytime you hear you know, anything that says something like, his back is not an issue now, the best way I can put it is, is we don't know. There's literally no way for us to know that one way or another. I don't think there's any way for anyone to know this except for Michael Machuela and maybe his trainers. Um, so we'll see how that works out. He also, the interesting thing with that is, is taking him 78 with the 78 pick. That would seem to me, if you were asking me who would be among the more difficult signings in this draft, uh, I that is a guy who will be interesting to see.
2: Except that they take him in the third round. And the good thing about third round picks is that you've had all night. night to figure things out with them. And it, he's not, I, I don't know what he's thinking. I, I have no idea. But, uh, you know, the third round is, is generally a signing
0: round. That being said, they also took guys that you look at sixth through tenth round that would seem to be freeing up some money in
2: many cases. Yes, there are several seniors there. Uh,
0: Leon Byrd, their tenth rounder, they list as a shortstop, I believe, when they announced it. He really struggled there defensively again he's a guy who could have been a lot better pick than this pretty awful year um but there is some tools there there are some tools there he could end up being nothing or he could end up being a lot better than that uh later round picks uh luke schilling who they took in the uh 20th round bad body but really good arm uh high school pitcher who again i don't know if they'll be able to uh if they'll be able to sign him, I would expect probably not at that point, but you never know. But he was interesting to me. Anyone uh, interesting to you?
2: Well, the most interesting thing on day three for the Rangers for me was Xavier Turner, their 19th round pick. He has yes. not played in a year because he is suspended by the NCAA, uh, and we do not know why. But last year uh, when Vanderbilt like got to Omaha – like Turner had been playing, been their starting third baseman all year through super regionals and then he got suspended and he remains suspended and he was practicing with the team uh, for part of the spring. Uh, but ooh, there, there are a lot of questions there. He he's a talented player and, and if he'd been able to play this season, you know, I, I don't think you'd see him there in the nineteenth round. But uh, the there are a lot of circumstances surrounding that, that that I frankly I do not know. Again,
0: these are the things we don't know. So that moves us on. We're almost done here. Hey, uh, Toronto, the Blue Jays who get who get John Harris with the uh, with the 29th pick in the draft, which I have to say, I mean, I know he had a pretty rough uh, last couple, you know, last outing, but that's a pretty good value pick. It seems like we we wouldn't have been surprised at all to see Harris go in the top 15, 20 picks as one of the safer college pitchers in the we could have been him go in top 10. We thought at some point.
2: Yeah, I mean, there there were some people that, that were thinking that, and he got rocked against Arkansas in Super Regionals. I doubt that played into the, the little bit of a tumble he went on, but uh, you know that is that the Blue Jays are, are quite happy about that, I'm sure. Uh, and then they get Brady Singer at 56, and I've been talking about the Florida high school arms. That's another one. Um, you know, those are. Those were their first day picks and you know they uh, they didn't have any extra picks or anything and so I don't think you're seeing a whole lot of a whole lot of splash from the the Blue Jays, but those guys, Justin Macy, Carl Wise, you know, that that just makes for a solid uh you know, first few picks of of the draft there for them.
0: Yeah, Macy is a guy who uh, kind of a little bit of a pop-up guy. If you saw him good, you could see him really good. There were he was a little inconsistent this spring, kind of on the questions on on how well he'll maintain that velo, but there's some premium. That's a premium arm if you saw him at his best. Um, uh, it looked like they did take a number of guys a little bit later on who you know who kind of fit the, the normal later-round uh, picks. Uh, anyone who really jumps out and trying to scan here? Uh, Chandler
2: Eden, the 17th-round yes. pick, was in the top 100 when he was coming out of high school two years ago. Went to Oregon State, didn't pitch much for the Beavers, And then transferred this year to Yavapai, making him eligible. Uh, And he had an up and down season for Yavapai as well. Uh, But you know, if they, uh, if he's able to get things straightened out, um, you know, there's there's talent there to be had.
0: And that moves us to the final team on our list, the uh, Nationals. And again, we're not really we know that we are somewhat at an Informational disadvantage, you know, but we can only share our opinions on what we had. I, I'll be honest though; I did not understand really a whole lot the the first day of the uh, of the Nationals draft. And well, so
2: they they don't pick until fifty eight, and yep. they started with Andrew Stevenson, the LSU center fielder, and then take Blake Perkins, a high school center or a high school outfielder from Arizona. He's
0: Probably a center fielder.
2: Yes, he uh, he he would seem to be a center fielder. Well, I
0: would hope he's a center fielder. If he's not a center fielder, then that takes away a lot of his value.
2: He uh, he's got he he should have the tools to stay in center and Andrew Stevenson definitely does and um you know, when you don't have first round picks like we've said it it changes the way the way things are and you know the Nationals two years ago were in the same boat and they took Jake Johansson uh, and then they took Drew Ward and so they took in that a power college arm probable reliever and now reliever uh and then drew ward was a upside high school play and i feel like they kind of followed that same uh, that same strategy you, you get something a little safer in andrew stevenson and uh, i know jj hasn't been as high on him certainly not at 58 we we have him in much lower than that in the, the i don't think he's
0: i don't i, I my problem with him is, is nothing personal against but the thing that i've had people raise with me and i think it's a legitimate question is is Stevenson's, again, you can talk about guys changing their approach. Stevenson's approach, his swing in college, much like I say the same thing about Cam Gibson, it is very much a put the ball in play, drive, you know, not drive it, but hit it the other way, make contact swing. There's not really much power to it, and he doesn't walk a ton to go with it. He hits for average. He's an, a high-average-based player. Now, as a center fielder, he's a great defensive center fielder. That can all work out. But, again, the margin from there from it all works out and you're an everyday player to the margin where you are a useful fourth outfielder is pretty small because, again, you're not probably going to provide power and you're not going to provide on base if it's not based out of your batting average.
2: Well, to me, you know, I think the Nationals did okay in 2013 with Johansson and Drew Ward. I think when you look at that now... Ward is number eight in the prospect handbook Johansen is 17 um, and I think this could be a similar right, similar uh, yeah. it, situation again, Stevenson Stevenson has value right. he, he has his absolute value and I think you'd probably feel pretty good about him making it to the big leagues it's a matter of what kind of impact right. he makes. And if Blake Perkins if you hit on Blake Perkins, then you have made this look fine.
0: I like Rhett Wiseman, the uh, their third round pick, the pick 103. I, I think that you know that that's they went outfield, outfielder, outfielder. Wiseman's a little different, you know. He there. is not a center fielder, but he can. I do think he can hit. So,
2: well, there's some swing and miss questions there. He has power and he has speed, uh, and so that he is he is intriguing for sure. And then Mariano Rivera Rivera's son uh, in the fourth round. That's a probable, you know, almost certain reliever. Uh, but you know the 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 bloodlines are definitely there for that one.
0: Right. Um, Grant Bourne, their seventh round pick, is a uh, a college pitcher who really knows how to pitch. With okay. As is
2: Matt Crownover, their sixth round pick, yep. ACC Pitcher of the Year.
0: And then Coda Glover, the eighth rounder, was Oklahoma State's closure, but he didn't pitch all that much. I think it was ninth on the team in appearances or something like that. Uh, but he does have power stuff. You know that it all comes together. Can be pretty good. Um, John Clay Reeves, their 20th rounder, is a productive college catcher. Again, 20th round, but they've had some success with taking later round catchers and turning them into something. Uh, I think Spencer Kaboom was a little later round pick. with yeah. do uh, Alex Rash, their 23rd rounder, is a lottery ticket. Second rounder out of high school. Massive athleticism. Massive arm at his healthy best. Not healthy very often. He walked 10 in 14 innings this year. Speaking of guys who could not get on the mound, partly because of injury, but also partly because they couldn't be depended on to get outs.
2: So. One uh, one other guy, uh, if you've been listening for a while now, you know that and I... you've been
0: listening for a while, if you're, listening the whole, if you're listening to the whole thing, you are you get a badge as an honest-to-goodness draft Nick.
2: You know that I uh, got mixed up on Tennessee pitchers. Well, the Nationals are the ones that took Andrew Lee, who is the two-way... Tennessee um, closer slash first baseman, and they took him as a pitcher in the eleventh round. Uh, he's probably a reliever too, um, you know. But that that's an interesting one. They took a lot of arm strength guys, as you might expect. Uh, this being the Nationals, Jorge Pantahoa from Alabama State, uh, you know, has a lot of work to do to to figure some things out. But there's there's a lot of arm strength there, and, and there are you know there are guys like that uh, sprinkled in throughout because that is one thing that we know that the Nationals. Uh, do a good job of collecting is guys with arm strength.
0: We're done. Woo. Two and a half hours. But, hey, that was fun because we did get a chance to, you know, kind of just riff off the top of our head off of a whole lot of guys. I mean, I I think we probably covered over 100 guys there. You know, I hope you enjoyed listening to this. Uh, You know, again, if you listen to the whole thing, we're going to have little cues on here where you can listen to your team if you want. If you listen to the whole thing, you are legitimately a draft Nick, and we, are, we appreciate that. We love this. I have to admit though, I am I said this to Teddy yesterday, been telling friends of mine. The great thing about the draft is is they hold it on the dates that they plan to hold it, no matter what, whether you're ready or not. And that's kind of great because there is a finish date. Now we get to start pretty much the 2016 draft uh, prep has already begins. But we've also got a Cape
2: love. Cod League has already started, and the showcase circuit for the high school kids starts next week. Yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does not. There is literally very little break if you are uh, the people who really do this for a living, the scouts. The, the, the scouts uh, get this record.
2: weekend maybe, maybe, and then they're right back at it.
0: It's crazy. It really is. Although, as scouting directors have many a time told me, you know what? Yes, we are on the Cape. We bring the family. It's a <laughs> little less pressure than it is when we're, you know...
2: The directors get that luxury. Yes. The, it's the, 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 the area, scouts, area guys do not. do not.
0: They just get to swelter in all long days. Yeah, they do not get that. It's, once you get to the scouting director level, then it becomes a little bit more relaxed in the summer. Not if you're an area guy. But we appreciate all of them because, I mean, we could not do this without the... Not
2: them uh, and the coaches. Uh, we can't thank them enough. Yes. I mean, we can't do this. I mean, we, again, we
0: say this many a time, because it's true and it's important. We're not the scouts. We are talking to the evaluators, the, the scouts, the college recruiting coordinators, all those guys. And I can't even think of the number of hours that it takes to do this. And we thank them for their time. And we hope we hope in some way that we are shining a flashlight on an area that still is, you know, it's much more uh, attention now. But it still doesn't have as much attention as probably even it should have. Because there this is a massive undertaking that teams do every year to get to this point. And it is amazing how, okay, and that massive undertaking is now done. Okay, let's file that away. Let's move on to next year. Snap your fingers and off we go.
2: I talked to a guy yesterday that um, you know not an not an area scout or anything, but left the the draft room and was at a minor league game that night.
0: Yep. You know, that's the way it is. So for Teddy Cahill, I'm JJ Cooper. We're glad that you've listened to 150 <laughs> minutes of draft talk. We do appreciate it, and so long, everyone